You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on this Memorial Day Monday. Hope everybody's having a uh, happy and safe and fun Memorial Day weekend. Um, I personally, I don't have a big problem with this Memorial Day weekend. I know people are upset. The weather... Uh, it's rainy. It's 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 not not beautiful out. I don't know. I kind of I kind of enjoy this. Uh, what do you think, Dan? I, I like being able to you know hang out. You have an excuse to sit in and do nothing. I personally love this kind of weekend. I I sat around Saturday and Sunday. I watched basketball all weekend. I was good. This was perfect sports watching weather. And you know what? I wasn't planning on going down the shore. But if if I can't, then why should there be good weather down the shore for other people to go enjoy themselves? This was this was the perfect sports watching weekend. And it's late May, and it felt like February. Right. It, nothing wrong with that. I was down the shore Thursday. Uh, till Saturday, I went down. I, I had worked the Phillies game uh, on Thursday afternoon engineering. I shot down right after that and was down there till Saturday. And I per- I didn't go out or anything. I stayed at home. You know, obviously, I'm older now. I have the baby. Can't really go out. But my sister-in-law is like in her mid-20s, and she was out. The, the, the shore is open. I mean, Sea oh, the, Isle oh, the shore. I, I, is I've open. Seen, I've seen videos. No. what? Well, there was no... I went down the shore a few times last year. They they were open last year. That that was kind of people took a vacation from the pandemic. If you wanted to, you went down the shore. There wasn't a mask in sight even last summer. Right. So I wouldn't expect this summer Memorial Day weekend. I would I would assume the restaurants indoors are packed with the weather being as bad as it is. The restaurants probably loving this because no one has an excuse to go to the beach. They're all stuck inside. Right, and there wasn't much to do, but I didn't mind it. I watched a lot of sports this weekend and. Uh, plenty of stuff to get to throughout the course of the show tonight. Um, we'll get to the Phillies later on. It's talking about with Ray. It's depressing, man. It's just depressing. And, you know, we we in the past have joked about, like, the, the injuries with Roman Quinn. I thought it was really classless of people to do that this time. Obviously, significant injury and really disappointing for him. And I don't think Roman Quinn is a great, is a very good player. But kind of sad because, you know, you probably see a guy's career end because he's fringe major leaguer anyway. Now coming off of a significant injury like this, really sad to see. Um, a bad weekend for the Phillies. Uh, this Joe Girardi thing is something we'll get into later on. But, I mean, and not even Joe Girardi's managerial decisions at this point. But... And I know people don't like the media and people don't feel bad for the media, but what Joe Girardi's doing is a disgrace. Like, it's an absolute disgrace. His answer to a a question about why Gene Segura didn't stay in the double switch last week was absurd. It was absolutely absurd. So 
we'll get to that uh, later on. Um, but a terrible weekend for the Phillies, and they are they are they are awful. Like they are a really bad baseball team. They're gonna finish last in this division. I'm I'm just telling you right now. Um, they are currently third, uh, four games out, but they're not better than the Marlins. They're not better than the Marlins. I don't think they're going to end up being better than the Nationals. Um, and just really disappointing when you see the, uh, you know, kind of investments they made and how pathetic this season has been. It, they are brutal to watch. They are not enjoyable. They are not good. And we'll get more into that later on. But another frustrating weekend as the Phillies drop both their games down in Tampa Bay, a place that they can't win. I mean, they get swept out last year at the end of the year, effectively keeping them out of the playoffs. Go down there this weekend, two winnable games um, that they were unable to take advantage of their opportunities. So we'll get to the Phils a little later on. We'll get to a lot of stuff happening with the NBA. And what is so disappointing to me on what should be a celebratory week in this country as far as really this being a week that in so many ways sports signifying us coming out of the pandemic with fans being allowed back at games and, you know, being able to pack these stadiums. And you really realize, like, I love the bubble last year because I'm just a basketball fan and I miss sports so much. But you realize now, that wasn't really the NBA playoffs. Like the NBA playoffs is packed buildings, fan interactions, stuff like that. And it's really disappointing to me on a week where we should be celebrating that for it to be ruined by the idiotic behavior of fans at games. We all know about the Russell Westbrook incident that happened here last week. That was a disgrace. Um, What happened in New York with Trey Young was a disgrace. What happened last night in Boston with Kyrie Irving was was disgraceful. And we'll get into that a little later on because it's really disappointing that we should be celebrating fans being at at games this week and instead it's getting overshadowed by the just idiotic behavior of a, a few people. So we'll get into that. But where we will start is with the Sixers as they lead their series with the Washington Wizards three games to none. Um, Game four later on tonight, Sixers seem set to complete this series on Monday night as it's been dominant. I mean, you look at how things have gone down here. Game one, a bit of a slow start. Uh, The Sixers struggle early. Bradley Beal goes off. It's kind of tight for a while, and it was a game that the Sixers – Kind of had to grind out in the end. They took control with about four minutes left in the third quarter. Had like a 16-4 to run, which really put them in control of that game. Um, but had to kind of gut out a tough win in game one. But as this series has gone on, the Sixers have demonstrated that they are clearly just on a completely different level than the Washington Wizards. And we knew that going in. We knew the Sixers were a better team. We knew they were a better team by a pretty drastic margin here. We, you know, and kind of knew how dramatic it was after game one in a way, because that was the kind of game where we talked about at the time, everything that Washington theoretically would have needed to steal a game in that series happened in game one. Like everything they needed to happen in game one to win that game 
happened, and they still lost. Joel Embiid gets in big-time foul trouble. Ben Simmons can't make a free throw. Bradley Beal goes off. Um, you know, all the things that Washington – Bertans goes nuts from three. All the kind of things that would have needed to happen for the Wizards to win a game in the series happened in game one, and they still lost. And you kind of knew at that point this series was over. And you knew it would be a quick series. But these last two games have been a, a totally different level of dominance. I mean, game three, Sixers just came out from the start and just ran the Wizards off the floor immediately. And you look at how these games have gone. You know, these are, are situations where the Sixers might let them get close at times, but whenever they feel like they want to take control of the game and they want to put it away, they just do it. And I really did want to start discussing the Sixers because they deserve to be talked about. And this is a really big story and a great opportunity that they have in front of them right now. And I don't want to overreact to three wins over a bad team. And make no mistake, the Wizards are a god-awful team. I don't know how they got in the playoffs. Um, they might be the worst defensive team. I've ever seen in the playoffs. They can't defend anybody. And as I said, anytime the Sixers want to score, they can score. Anytime they really put their mind to it, they stop messing around. It's like, you know, you've kind of seen the last couple games, and it was something that you kind of were afraid of going in because the Sixers play into this too. Like, Washington's a bad team. They're a bad defensive team. But the Sixers make them look really bad because the way the Sixers have exploited them in this series. And I thought the games would be closer throughout the course of this series. I kind of predicted that it would be like the Sixers round one win over Miami three years ago, where these games would mostly be tight, but the Sixers would win them in the end. This series hasn't been anywhere close to as close as that series was. And part of why I thought maybe this would be closer is I hadn't watched Washington as much. I didn't watch them as intent in, intently, but part of why I thought that would happen is the Sixers and what we'd seen over the last couple weeks. And what we'd seen over the last couple weeks from the Sixers heading into the playoffs was a team that was a little complacent, you know, a little bored. They were letting bad teams hang around, teams that they should have beat soundly. They weren't beating as soundly as they should have. But this series kind of speaks to their maturity. Where, you know, anytime they want to take control of this game, they can. It's like they toy around for a little bit. And it's been kind of the same thing. Where, like, four or five minutes left in the second quarter, Washington's got the game within six or eight, something like that. It's somewhat tight. And then the Sixers say at the end of the second quarter, like, all right, this game's over. And they're coming out. They're going on runs at the end of the half, and you blink, and all of a sudden go to halftime, the Sixers are up 14, 15 points. And it's like, all right, this this game's over. Washington has no chance. Um, I feel awful for Bradley Beal. Like, he's a guy, he needs to get out of Washington. He is just too good to be there. And I don't know if you saw the same thing I saw, Dan, on uh, on Saturday night. But Can I take a guess before you say it? Sure. Where he puts his hands on his shoulders in a timeout, and it looks like he, or, or not his shoulders, on his hips, and he looks like he's totally just, like, disgusted with the entire team. Yeah, and I think midway through that third quarter, 
like he reality mentally. set in yeah. for everybody on that team. Where the Wizards just kind of realized this was done. Uh, Beal kind of realized, I'm never going to win anything here. And I hope Bradley Beal's able to get out of there because he's never winning anything. He's too good to be on that bad of a team. He seems like not the prototypical superstar. Like, he doesn't seem like a diva the way that a number of these NBA superstars are. And in the era of player empowerment, he's always been loyal to the Wizards, which is what a lot of people complain about that we wish we saw more of. But eventually... Him or his agent's going to have to raise a stink and just be like, I'm too good to waste my prime on a media- with a mediocre franchise who gets bounced in the first round at best in a sweep. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at how the Sixers have taken control of this series. And when I look at it, my biggest takeaway is the maturity factor. And it speaks to their maturity because this is what good, mature championship level teams do is they come out and they destroy an opponent that they should destroy. And, you know, you can only play the team that is placed in front of you. Like I understand sweeping the wizards is not going to be an incredible accomplishment. And I understand in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to matter all that much, not going to matter all that much with the Sixers doing this round what they do in the next round, because it looks like it's going to be Atlanta. Um, We'll get more into that series later on, but the Sixers aren't going to have any significant problems with the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks might win a game at absolute most. Maybe Trey Young goes unconscious and they win two, but I doubt it. The Sixers are ultimately going to be judged by what they do in the Eastern Conference Finals. I get that. You get that. We all understand the situation that they are in. But all we can judge them off right now is what they're doing right now. And this has been encouraging to me. As you look across the other side of the bracket um, on the other conference, and you see the 1-8 series there. And, yeah, I think Memphis is a better team than Washington is. But Utah is laboring in that series. Utah is fighting to win those games, to beat that 8 seed. The Sixers have come out. And the Sixers are just are just obliterating the Washington Wizards. And does it mean they're going to win the East? No. But it gives me confidence that they have learned from their past experiences. Because we talk so much about teams being hardened by their experiences and their failures. And you're seeing it with Milwaukee as well, where Milwaukee has that disappointing five-game loss to Miami last year, and they lose to Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals after having 2 nothing lead the year before. And you see kind of how those past failures, those past experiences have been turned into positives and used as, as learning um, tools. And I feel like Milwaukee learned from what happened to them in the past. They have been different this year. I feel like the Sixers learned from what happened to them in the past. They have been different. And my biggest takeaway is the maturity that you just sense with this team is, you know, they're never sped up. They know they're in control of these games. I know it's a bad opponent, but it has been encouraging the thorough, the the way the Sixers have thoroughly dominated really the last five halves of this series. Other than first half of game one, it has been all Sixers. And I totally believe that this team's going to take care of business later on tonight. 
I totally, totally believe I'll be back on tomorrow and we'll be talking about a four-game sweep. And I, I can't believe I might lock this in right now. The Sixers are only minus eight tonight, which I think uh, – what, what? You're worried about that, Dan? I, I think the Sixers win by 20 tonight. I think they do too, but anytime a line like that seems too good to be true, you get like a backdoor cover and it's weird. True. I'm betting it anyway, just because I'll feel in like a game a dope four, if I don't. Yeah. And because if it's the thing it's kind of the kind of thing that if you don't bet it, they'll absolutely win by twenty. But if you do bet it, the Wizards will turn a fifteen point lead into a seven point lead and they'll dribble out the clock and you'll be screaming at your TV that they dribbled out a shot well, clock instead of trying to score. If that happens, that would suck, but I just don't think it's going to, because I think the Wizards are that bad. I think you think the they're Sixers just going to roll over? Bad. Sometimes game four, you see teams. I, I was jokingly saying to my dad, I was watching the game last night, that the Sixers should load manage and beat in this game. Like, that would be the ultimate well, yeah. disrespect. Well, no, I mean, no, you're not going to sit them. Not actually, but right. I was like, what if they did? Like, well, how I, funny would that be? That, that they don't even need them. It's another advantage. I mean, they haven't really had to play Simmons and Embiid and all their guys a lot of minutes in this series, and that's a major advantage Moving forward, and they're mature. They look like they've legitimately learned from their experiences. And when we get back here, I do want to play um, some sound. Uh, Joel Embiid did an interview with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter last night. And Joel had some interesting comments on it. But I want your thoughts on the Sixers and your confidence moving forward based on what we've seen so far. Because, you know, I get that. A first-round series win, even a second-round series win, isn't really going to please anybody this year. Like, this year for the Sixers is championship or bust. It's at least finals or bust. And if this team does not reach the NBA Finals, it's going to be looked at as a failure, considering they had the number one seed, considering they have a nice road to the Eastern Conference Finals and home court advantage throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. But I want your thoughts and confidence on the Sixers moving forward based on what we've seen so far and what your biggest takeaway has been so far. Mine has been the maturity. Like, I think you were clearly seeing a more, more mature team. You're clearly seeing a Sixers team that has learned from their past experiences. And I've been extremely impressed with the way they have come out and dominated this first-round series against an inferior opponent. You can only play the team that's in front of you. And the Sixers have just dominated every facet of this series. And I think they broke Washington's will on Saturday night. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 to join the show. If you want to get in on the Phillies, Joe Girardi, you're welcome to uh, as well. We will get into that. Um, So several things that we'll discuss. And if you want to get in on uh, any of the other things in the NBA playoffs, the fan stuff, which is just idiotic. And we'll get to that later on. Just it's a disgrace what's going on um, in the NBA right now with some of the fans. And it's a week we should be celebrating fans being back at games and a couple of dopes are ruining it. Um, So we'll get to that. And also Jimmy Butler and heat culture is dead. They are swept out of the playoffs. I saw that clown Udonis Haslam flipping a chair during a timeout. Uh, you know, big tough guy who hasn't played a meaningful minute in seven friggin' years, uh, acting like he's, you know, somebody you'd be feared on the sidelines. He's just, I mean, that guy's got to retire. It's a, it's a joke, but um, now I sound like Howard. It's a joke. But uh, Jimmy Butler swept out, and um, that situation, I don't think that's going to go over well in Miami. 
apparently Jimmy already having issues with the coaching staff in Miami. And uh, I don't think this sweep is going to solve matters. So a lot to get into tonight. Your thoughts on the Sixers. You want to get into the Phillies, you're welcome to as well. 215-592-9494. See Isan. Isan will be first right after the break. I'm Tom Kelly right here, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham on this Memorial Day Monday. Uh, if you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Where does Memorial Day rank in terms of holidays? Whenever there's a holiday, we usually do these like holiday rankings. I don't think I, I, Memorial Day be pretty high up on my list, honestly. I would say probably top five. Um Thanksgiving is always in my mind number one. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday um, with food and football and beer. It's just it, it it hits it checks all the all the boxes so to speak. So I'd go Thanksgiving uh, number one. Um, but I I love a, who doesn't love a good Memorial Day? It's start of summer. Um, there's usually this year's even better because we're in the heart of the NBA playoffs. But even Regular times, there's usually a big playoff game on on Memorial Day. So I, I, I like Memorial Day. Where do you, what do you think, Dan? I think I'm with you. I'm with you on the Thanksgiving thing. I think Memorial Day is up there. I think it's the best of the summer holidays because it signifies the beginning, the unofficial beginning of summer. And then July 4th is pretty good. And then Labor Day is kind of just like, eh, you know, end of summer. I remember I used to hate Labor Day as a kid because that meant, School started the next day, mm-hmm. so I think I think Memorial Day is definitely up there. It means the weather's getting nicer. It's kind of a big point in you're right the NBA playoffs, and if we actually had a good baseball team to talk about, this would signify heading into the summer days with that team. And I remember back when this team actually w- was winning National League East. Memorial Day was always a fun time, and you know, a good time. The shores opening back up, stuff like. So I think I'm with you on Memorial Day. And I have to think about where it ranks, but of the summer holidays, I think it's definitely at the top. Yeah, I, I like it. So uh, Memorial Day, if you want to get in on that, um, you're welcome to. But the Sixers, what we're discussing to start the show tonight, and your biggest takeaway from the first round so far. I mean, obviously, this is not a good Wizards team. Like, And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you this is some unbelievable accomplishment. But all the Sixers can do is play who's in front of them. And you know, they are dominating this series uh, in a way that they should, honestly. But it's impressive to see and it's encouraging to see them take control and humiliate a team that they should humiliate. And um, I think it speaks in many ways to their development uh, mentally more than anything. And we'll get to Joel Embiid in a few minutes as he joined Scott Van Pelt after the game last night. Said some interesting things about that. So, We'll get them in a few minutes. First, let's go to Isan. Let's talk about the Sixers. What's up, Isan? What's up, CK? How are you, man? Good. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, happy Memorial Day. I want to start with Memorial Day before I get into the Sixers because you just made me really think about it. It's the most one of the most significant holidays for me, and it's for like personal reasons. I remember when I was going to Temple University, I came home one day to my neighborhood, my regular neighborhood from this campus, and my mom happened to have off of work that day on a holiday, and mm-hmm. she came outside to, like, sweep the sidewalk first thing in the morning and told me to come up the street away from my friends. And, like, five minutes later, my life was spared, man. It was like a drive-by shooting on my block, man. So that, that for me, is significant because I feel like my life was spared on Memorial Day. So it's more significant for me than, like, my favorite holiday. But it always is a time for me to actually reflect on 
on life and everything. Oh my and then god! Last man, year, that's 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 terrifying. I mean, yeah, it I, is. I, I get, yeah, I guess you you always think about that on Memorial Day, obviously. Yeah, and I remember what happened. The Sixers were in the playoffs that year. It, I'm pretty sure it was like uh, 2001. I think it was the year they were on their run. Mm-hmm. But I remember just like I remember that. But then also last year, George Floyd died on Memorial Day. So it's a kind of significant day for change. And to think about how far we've come since last year. We got a vaccine. We got the country moving in a particular direction. But, yeah, we want to talk a little Sixers and encourage everybody out there to start calling in to talk about the Sixers instead of the terrible Phillies. Let's change the narrative for what we're talking about to winning sports, all right? So now, can I get into it, TK? Sure, yep. Go ahead. I changed my opinion of who the threat is in the East. And it's not because of their talent. It's because of the war they're going to have to go through. When I'm watching, did you watch the Nets game tonight at all? I, I actually did not catch any of the Nets Celtics. I watched all the other three games uh, on su- Sunday. I did not catch that one. It was a great game. But one thing I took out of it immediately is the Nets were up like 25 points with like seven minutes left in the game, and they had to keep their starters in. And it wasn't – when I first watched I'm like, why are they doing this? Is an injury risk and all that. But then I watched, it's because they can't play defense. The Celtics were just erasing the lead so quick. I mean, they had – I think they wanted to win in like 140 to 120, something like that. But they, they needed to stay in the game to keep it that way. And what I'm starting to get out of this is that the Sixers' path is going to allow them to be rested and not as beaten down if they have to face the Nets. But I don't think the Nets are the biggest threat. I think the Bucks are. And I think the Bucks have the same benefit that the Sixers have right now where they'll be able to rest and be prepared for their next battle. But the only thing I think different is the Sixers don't have to go against a Goliath in the next round. The Bucks and Nets, whoever comes out of that, is going to be a problem for the Sixers. But I think it's the Bucks that we got to worry about because they'll be rested and because they look like they're on a mission as well. Yeah, no, Isan, that the, it's a huge advantage that the Sixers have because, you know, I think they're going to sweep this series tonight. I think they take care of Washington They'll get Atlanta. I see that as a five-gamer. Like, I think Atlanta will get one because Trey Young will go off and Atlanta will make all their shots. And, you know, I I do think Atlanta probably gets one of those series. But I don't see it going beyond that. And Brooklyn-Milwaukee, I can't wait to watch that series. I think it's going to be fascinating because, like you said, it is going to be a war. Um, I think it goes seven. I mean, I picked Brooklyn at the beginning of the playoffs, so I'll stick with it for now. But I got to tell you, Milwaukee, what they did to Miami – was incredibly impressive. Like, I thought Miami was a pretty good team. Maybe I was right. hanging on to what they did last year in the bubble, but um, Milwaukee just just destroyed them. That was really impressive performance. Yeah, same thing the Sixers are doing to the Wizards, and I actually am really surprised because AFC in the NBA is different than any other league. Like, you can still be a pretty good team just to make the playoffs. Like, the uh, what's the team out west? The Memphis Grizzlies? They're giving the Jazz a fight, like you said. I like but Memphis, the Wizards, man. They're fun to watch. Yeah, and they're young, and they, they just, they're so exciting. But this team that the Sixers are playing, they're, like, dominating them. And what I'm really, really impressed by, we all know Embiid is the MVP candidate, and he's having a great year. He's healthy. And he also looks tuned in and so focused. It was a play yesterday where he missed a dunk. And he got, or sorry, two nights ago, he missed a dunk and he got booed. And the very next chance he got to dunk the ball, he slammed it so hard and put his hands up like, give it to me, y'all, give it to me, to the crowd, like just taunting him and taunting him. And he went 14 for 18. Like he's, he's, he's so efficient right now. 
He's so dominant. His body looks like it's in tip-top shape. And ben, ben, he still can't hit free throws. He still looks like he has some issues that he has to work through. But he's playing confident. And they're playing as a team, a well-oiled machine right now. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I hope more people call in and talk about it because football season is three months from now. Let's talk about some winning sports right now and stop talking about these trash Phillies. Yeah. No, I hear you, son. I appreciate it, man. All right. Yeah, take it easy. I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it with the Sixers is – I don't know if it's apathy, but I think it's – we all know that this round isn't, you know, the end-all, be-all. Like, And it – you know, it's so funny. I'll get more into the Knicks later on, but it's so funny how they, you know, celebrate a game two win in the first round. And I'm so glad we're not at that point where we actually care about winning big games. Like, we know the first round isn't really a big stage in the NBA. And um, it's been nice to see, you know, this of evolution with the Sixers and them understanding and them, you know, kind of embracing the moment. It was great with Embiid last night with the fans and, and, you know, he misses the dunk and he comes back, he slams it and he lets them hear about it. And I just feel like we are seeing a Sixers team that is hardened, that is more mature, that understands, you know, the differences in these games now than they did a few years ago. And um, I want to let you hear a little bit of sound from Joel Embiid as he joined Scott Van Pelt last night after the game. Game is on ESPN, so they'll get Embiid postgame. And, and he talked to Scott Van Pelt. And first off, here was Joel on just the Sixers and how they've just dominated the first three games of this series. I mean, the job is not done. Uh, you know, we still got we still got to get that fourth one. Uh, so we got to get focused. Uh, there's nothing to be happy about. Uh, but I'm glad we got the three only. Uh, so, you know, just like, you know, all the three games that we play, uh, you know, we've just been aggressive uh, defensively and offensively, moving the ball, playing with each other, and we got the results. And it's just great to hear MVP chants down in Washington. That game was in Washington. And Sixers fans traveled down there. I don't know if the Wizards really have a fan base. They're bad fans down in Washington. I mean, all those teams, they, they don't really get great fan support. They're like a hockey town now with the Capitals. But, um, you know, I, I, I just think they're kind of fraud fans down there. Nobody cares about the Wizards. They know the Wizards stink. But, you know, Joel Embiid just talking about how this team just, just knowing how to win and knowing what they need to do. And this next one I thought was so interesting because – Joel Embiid was asked uh, by Scott Van Pelt here about, you know, learning how to win. I thought his answer answer w- was really telling. Here's Joel Embiid when asked by Scott Van Pelt about the Sixers' evolution into becoming a real winning team. I want to ask one last thing, Joel, about, about the process. And I'm not talking about the one we've heard so much about in Philly. I'm talking about the process okay. of learning how to win playoff games. Closing out series, going deeper in the playoffs. That, too, is a process. How do you feel like as a team, with with you as as certainly the leader, that you all are progressing in that part of the process? Um, I mean, this is, uh, you know, my fourth year in the playoffs. So, you know, from, you know, you look at, you know, the first time that I got to that uh, to this type of stage uh you know it felt like i was there but it felt like i wasn't ready um and you know especially us as a team uh, as you grow and you keep playing in this type of games uh 
you get more experience. Uh, and I felt, and I feel like, you know, the past few years, uh, we've gained a lot of experience. And obviously, we added a, a great coaching staff. Uh, you know, that's been there. They've won it. Uh, so they've been helping us a lot. Uh, so, and then us as players, especially me, just, I just want to be, you know, go out there and just get dominant, uh, whatever I got to do. Uh, every single night, I got to I gotta deal with double and triple teams, so I got to make plays for my teammates. Uh, you know, I got to attack, I got to be aggressive offensively and defensively. So, uh, you know, when you talk about that process, uh, you know, we had to start somewhere. Uh, to get to this point, uh, but this is only the first one. Uh, like I said, there's nothing to be happy about. Uh, job's not done. Uh, we got to close it down next game uh, and then worry about the rest. And, you know, you hear Embiid say there, yeah, the first time I got here, I wasn't really ready, and I don't think he was. I don't think he was ready from a physical standpoint. Remember the first year they were in the playoffs, Embiid's coming off the orbital bone injury where, you know, Markel Fultz and him collide, and he ends up hurting uh, the bone in his face. And, you know, he wasn't right that entire series, and that team was too young. I mean, people we were high on them going in. They had, what, 17-game winning streak to end the regular season. Everybody kind of jumped on the Sixers. But I really do think there is something to learning from the losses and learning from the failures and learning from the experiences. And I think you're seeing it with both the Sixers and Milwaukee, where – you know, and Embiid admits it, where he wasn't ready, and he, they weren't ready. Either him or Simmons. In that Boston series, neither of them played great. Um, the following year against Toronto, you know, I think that was a real learning experience. Last year in the bubble, I think you almost have to throw that out because Ben wasn't there. That team was just dead under Brett Brown. They weren't going to do anything. The roster wasn't built well, and they weren't ready, but – you learn from those experiences and you take something from, from those losses and the NBA really more than any other sport. There are very few examples of a team with young players, just getting it done immediately without going through these losing experiences. You know, you look at those golden state teams with Steph and Clint, they, they had losses before they got to that point. They, I mean, Mark Jackson got fired. Then they brought in Steve Kerr. It kind of all clicked and came together. Um, hopefully, a similar thing's happening here. Um, you know, a, a lot of these teams, it, it's very rare unless you just throw a lot of veterans together who have been from different experiences. Like a Boston uh, back in the late 2000s, you know, in 08. They kind of got it done the first year, but... All of them, Pierce and Allen and Garnett, they had their own losing experiences in the past, and they learned from them. The Kobe Shaq Lakers, they failed before learning how to get over that hump. We saw it with LeBron for years. He had to learn before he could get over that hump. And it's just kind of the, the maturation process of teams and players in this league. And it seems like the Sixers have finally kind of figured it out and Embiid certainly um, seems to have figured it out from a physical and mental perspective. And I just feel like the Sixers this year are in a much better headspace to make a deep run than they've been in the past. 215-592-9494. Let's get Brett and Boyertown in here. What's up, Brett? Oh. Yo, Brett. Hey, are we on? You're hey, on the you're air. On? What's going on? 
All right. First of all, I have to apologize for about two months ago. I'm pretty sure I had a small stroke on the air with the YYY at the trade deadline, if you remember. I do not, Brett, but I hope you're doing all right. All right. But, yeah, my tongue's a little, like, crooked, but we're all good. But I just wanted to say, uh, like, Daryl Morey has done the best job here. He's done a really good. He's done a really good job, Brett, and he hasn't. He hasn't made any earth-shattering moves. I mean, he was able to, you know, but just moves like trading Al Horford for Danny Green, Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. Those trades have have worked wonders. Oh, I think that beyond that, though, what he is doing with every night without the mud stuff on Twitter with memes and stuff, he's getting the whole city. And he's getting the players together in this fun atmosphere that they're having fun every night. And I, I, I think that's what's got Ben in like, oh, Joel's out. I'll do 15-15. And I really appreciate what Daryl did. Yeah, no, I hear you, Brett, and I appreciate the call. And, yeah, Daryl Morey's done a fantastic job. I mean – those little tweaks, like, and getting rid of the Horford contract, that was a big thing. But to get rid of the Horford contract and get, like, a legitimately helpful player back, Danny Green has been great for this team. Um, Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, which seemed to be, you know, kind of like a, all right, we'll trade this guy for a guy who fits better type deal. Seth Curry, in my mind, is just a far more useful player than Josh Richardson is. And... These have just been, they've just been good, sensical moves. Drafting a guy like Maxi, who has big potential down the line, and Tyrese Maxi is going to have a role this postseason. I didn't think he would. I mean, part of it is just the absolute disaster that Shake Milton has turned into, that Maxi's kind of has to has them have those minutes at this point because Shake Milton is just terrible whenever you put him on the floor right now. But Daryl Morey's done a fantastic job, and obviously, no bigger move then bring in Doc Rivers because he heard Joel Embiid reference it there as far as the coaching and um, the job Doc has done. It's It's been tremendous um, to see what Doc Rivers has done, what the Sixers have done, and uh, very fun uh, to see what they've done so far this year in the playoffs. And what's your thoughts on the Sixers as we move forward here? I think this team is so much better equipped mentally to go on a run that's the big difference I see from years past. And they are taking care of business in an, in an impressive way so far in this series against Washington. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, in for Big Daddy Graham on Memorial Day, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham on this Memorial Day Monday. In the 3 o'clock hour, we will get more into the Phillies, as, yes, we must. Got to touch on them a little bit. But it is, it's really pathetic. Like, it is it is getting worse every day. It's terrible to watch them play. Like, Dan, I know you're a big baseball guy. Uh, and if, you know, you want to give the podcast a little, little shout here? Yeah, Locked On Phillies. Uh, mm-hmm. Every day you can hear my rant about this baseball team, a lot what we discuss here on the airwaves. I try and pace myself. I do a lot of crossover episodes with it. It's a big podcast network, and 
there's actually a host for each team. So like actually tonight mm. I did a crossover with the Locked On Reds guy. I was doing a crossover oh, with the nice. Locked On Rays guy the other day, and he's talking all about how they have all this organizational depth and they do more with less and they don't spend a ton of money. And I'm like, well, I can't relate to any of that, but it must be nice. Yeah, and we'll down in Tampa. You know? Yeah, and we'll get to that in the three o'clock hour. But how, like, as a baseball guy, how much does it hurt you to watch this team and, and watch just like them make little league mistakes on a daily basis it's the little league mistakes combined with the expectations we had going into the season like I remember the 2014 15 16 17 Phillies where you went into the season and you knew they were going to be bad and I would turn on every game just because I'm mentally ill I guess you could say and demanded of myself that I stay up and watch those games and knowing that each day I kind of treated it like my own little opening day like I didn't put it in the context of the season it's just like maybe they'll win tonight and I would just watch it just for the hell of it this year I was expecting I didn't have them in the playoffs but I said they have a winning record for the first time in 10 years and you're absolutely right they're playing like a fourth or fifth place team and it's so disheartening combined with the strikeouts and I know people are upset with the style of baseball the direction it's going with the increased strikeouts but this team strikes out more than any team in the National League. And the Rays are the only team in baseball that strike out more than they do. But at least they have the third most runs in baseball to go with it. Like, it's all bad with this team. It's bad defense. It's bad hitting. It's wasted starting pitching outings. It's brutal. And a bad manager all combined right. makes it just a very disheartening product. And very. it's hard to motivate yourself to stay on these games when the NBA playoffs are on another station or something like that. Yeah, to, I mean, 25 and 28... Um, and really, I mean, it, you, and I know you can't really do this because teams go through streaks, but you take away that 4-0 start, there's seven games under 500. It's not early anymore. They had a 4-0 no. start and a five-game winning streak, and besides that, they've been brutal. Like, they, literally brutal. Yeah, I mean, they were 21-18. and 18. Since then, they're 4-10. and 10. They won four out of the last 14. It, it, it's just really tough to watch, and it's not early anymore. Like, we're through the month of May. We're now at Memorial Day. We have turned the corner to the middle of the season, and they're still bad. And it's because there's nothing on the horizon. There's no blue-chip prospect coming up through the organization. There's no, well, I'm sure this team will figure it out. Like, this is the team. This is the whole thing. And we have four more months of this and years ahead of it where they're just mediocre. Yeah. No, it's 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 certainly looking, looking dire right now. They started three games set with the Reds on – Monday and just a weird quirk in the schedule where you have Friday day off, some four those interleague two games series, four straight day games is just bizarre. Um, why do they play these Tampa games in during the day on Saturday? Well, Tampa I think usually does Saturday day games. That's weird. Uh, the Yankees do that too. That's I'd, why Ricky always makes it down here. Yeah, I prefer a night game, but uh, whatever. Whatever. That's how they do it. It's only right. a two-game series, and they'll be back at CBP in August. But those weird interleague series, the home and home, where you get two and two, causes the Friday off day. Gotcha. Well, we'll it's been frustrating. We'll get more into that in the three o'clock hour. But when we get back here, I need to get to. You know, it's been a great week of basketball in many ways, and I have enjoyed the playoffs immensely. Um, this week for many reasons, none more than having fans back. It is, you know, it feels like the playoffs in a way that it didn't last year, but what's been going on at some of these games is a disgrace and it needs to stop. And we'll talk about that. Uh, when we get back here, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly. 
with you on this Memorial Day. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Memorial Day Monday. Uh, My first time on since Wednesday morning, which for me these days is a long stretch off. So happy to be back on the air. Had a couple uh, days off, normally on the Thursday 10 to 2, um, which I was off for this week, which Dave Uram filled in for. So I hope everybody uh, listened to Uram, um, a, a buddy of mine, uh, interesting guy, Dave. Uh, Dave. Do you know Dave Uram, Dave Wilson, or Dan Wilson? Sorry. I've had the chance to work with them. Uh, it was the discussion of Ricky and I. I thought your rant uh, about a week ago about him preferring friends over Seinfeld was kind right. of cool. But, he, but he's a good guy. Yeah. No, no Dave, Dave, Dave's a great guy. Um, and me and Dave have known each other for a long time. So he's in that shift this week and I, I was off my shift last night. Uh, so back tonight, I'll be back in the next two nights. And I think I'll be talking about a Sixers sweep of the Washington Wizards tomorrow. Uh, as I said, minus eight, that is screaming, um, to bet the Sixers in my mind. I have not done it yet, but. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna jump at that one. I actually, I, and I don't know if anybody else had the same experience. But are you a soccer guy, Dan? Not at all. Like okay. not even a little bit. But I know that it was a big weekend right. for soccer and well, the I European got, League final, yeah, the yeah. Euro League final. Right. I got into it during the pandemic a little bit, like when we had nothing else. I, two things I got into: soccer and UFC. UFC is stuck. Like I continue to watch UFC. I actually really enjoy it. I think it's um. When you really get into it, you understand that it's not just complete barbarism, that these guys really are tactical. There's an art to it. Right. There is, and I find it really interesting. So I, I that stuck with me. And also, soccer didn't really stick, um, but I have a greater enjoyment of it now. But, you know, I, I'm off yesterday, and I'm just like, want to watch this Champions League final because it's like the biggest league, biggest championship, the biggest league. But if you're going to watch that game, like I, I can't watch a soccer game without betting on it. Like maybe that is a bad thing, but it's like I don't care enough to watch it if I don't have a rooting interest. But, you know, belt, bet Chelsea plus 350. Yeah, that's a nice go. little winnings. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not super into soccer. I have a buddy who works for the union, got me free tickets once. Uh, they actually won like 5-1. It was like the best game almost in franchise history in terms of scoring. Probably pretty fun. And I've never went back because he's like, you can't bring down your goals average because usually it's like one nothing and you'd be bored. But I want to bring back the Philadelphia kicks where they there's tons <laughs> of goals and it goes off the wall and stuff. Yeah, like I, mean, I would be more into that than real soccer. I remember going to a kicks game when I was a kid. I, I remember that. Those are fun. Yeah. They were they, great. They weren't bad. So, uh, yeah, but um, uh, I, uh, I, I did enjoy that Champions League final because I won a little money off it. But, yeah, I think uh, I, the Sixers minus eight looks like a gift to me. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, but talking about the Sixers, they are, they're kind of mental development. And I think they are just a team that is much more mature much more ready for the moment now. And when you look at their road ahead, it's pretty favorable. Um, it's just disappointing to me that it does not look like it'll be the New York Knicks in the next round. But um excited for what's to come with the 76ers. So discussing that, um, getting into the Phillies, we'll get into them more this hour as well here. But I did want to um, 
get to another thing with the NBA real quick, because one of the best moments on Saturday night was after Joel Embiid goes for a big slam, uh, rims out. The fans were giving it to him a little bit. And that was that that was fun. You know, he misses the dunk. Uh, you know, the fans are getting on him. Then a few minutes later, Joel Embiid comes back and does slam one home. Uh, finishes, playing to the crowd, and you know that's something Joel Embiid loves to do. Um, and it was pretty funny I because I, I jumped up off my couch at that point when Embiid slammed, and I was, you know, yelling something. I think I said, oh, bleep, or something like that, and the kid's sitting in front of me, and he's laughing. He he kind of thought it was funny me reacting in that moment. And by the way, he's, he seems to like basketball. He, whenever, like, Suns Lakers today. His eyes are transfixed. I don't know what it is with the – I think it's the colors and all the movement, but he seems to enjoy basketball more than anything else. Well, I would assume he likes basketball than more more than watching the Phillies strike out 15 times. Yeah. By the way, rolled over today. He ro- uh, oh, wow. He's doing the rolling over, and the, like we were cheering for him, and he continued to do it because he liked oh, he, being so he, cheered so he's on. Oh, he flair for the dramatic a little yes, bit. Yes. Oh, okay. He so he's over, a showman. He did belly to or back to belly, then belly to back, and he kind of kept doing it. So that was cool. Him, him, and Embiid both got a, a yeah. thing for the fans. Yeah, well, little little moments as he's now three months old. So that's when they start getting kind of fun. But um, you know, Embiid does that, and he loves playing the fans. And it's been the best part about this playoffs to me. And here was Joel Embiid last night, almost got Van Pelt about you know getting into it with the fans down in Washington. You know, I like getting into it uh, with them because, you know, that boo, uh, you know, that talk trash, uh, it makes me play better. Uh, I like it, uh, you know. Uh, so I like playing on the road, and, you know, I like when they do that because it just gets me going, and I hope they keep doing it. And, you know, that's great, and it's fun, and I love to see uh, that kind of stuff. What I do not love to see is some of the things that have gone on in the NBA this week as far as fans of games. And it's really irritating to me because this should be a week where we are celebrating coming out of the pandemic. Like, because it really does feel like, I don't know, what do you think, Dan? Like, this is the first time in, like, 14 months that I kind of really do feel like we're living in the actual world we became accustomed to now we're, we're getting there like we're gonna have full capacity at the Sixers in the next round full capacity at the Phillies if people actually decide to show up if the team draws a crowd but right. no the, the restrictions around here are basically gone and, and most people you it's at the point where everyone who wants to be vaccinated is vaccinated and obviously people have different takes on that but we're at a point where it's hey, we're, we can take these masks off, we can be in crowds, and no one really has any remorse about it, whether it's here, down the shore, or across the country. Right, and, you know, it, it should be something to celebrate. But you see the things that have happened this past week, and I've been waiting to get on the air to talk about this because it, it, it pisses me off. Like, it really does piss me off. Where you see an idiot dump popcorn on Russell Westbrook, which is stupid. I mean, it's stupid anyway, but the guy's literally coming off with an injury, limping back to the locker room. How What a classless, classless jerk you must be to do that. And I don't like Russell Westbrook. It's not about that. It's, it, it's, not, not, it's about showing a human being a level of decency and respect. You don't dump popcorn on Russell Westbrook. You don't throw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving like what happened. Um, 
And, you know, let's actually hear that. Because Kyrie Irving um, had made comments about the Boston fans last week and about, you know, things in that city that have been legitimately there for years as far as racism. Now, I don't, I don't, what, what about Kyrie Irving? I don't think all of Kyrie Irving's points are off base. I also think Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, deserves some of the criticism he's gotten. What he did in Boston, I understand why he's not liked there, but Kyrie Irving also has legit points that he makes. And you don't throw things at him. You don't do that. And here was Kyrie after the game on what happened in Boston on Sunday night. It's unfortunate, you know, that sports has come to a lot of this, uh, you know, kind of crossroads where you're seeing a lot of old ways come up. It's been part of like, it's been part of that. It's been that way in history and in terms of entertainment performers and sports for a long period of time of just underlying racism and just treating people like they're in a human zoo, you know, throwing stuff at people, saying things, you know, there's a certain point where it just gets to be too much. So, you know, I, I called it out. I just wanted to keep it strictly basketball. And then you just see, that people just feel very entitled out here. You know, they pay for the tickets, great. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that they're coming in to watch um, a great performance, but it, it's just, you know, we're not at the theater. We're not throwing tomatoes and, and other random stuff at the people that are performing. You know, it's just, it's too much. And it's a reflection on, um, you know, us as a whole when you have fans acting like that. So, you know, hopefully people learn their lessons from being banned for however many years of being arrested, but, you know, it's always going to be an occasion. Now, you know, you can heckle guys. You can boo. You can say you suck. You don't throw things at people. You just don't do it, okay? It's disgraceful. And whoever does that, you shouldn't be allowed back at a game ever again in any professional sport. And I don't, I don't say that for hyperbole or anything like that. I think it is, a, it is embarrassing when people do things like that. And the amount of, whether it's the bottle of Kyrie Irving, the popcorn of Russell Westbrook, somebody spitting on Trey Young, somebody yelling racist remarks at John Morant. It is embarrassing. And it is such a downer to have that coming off this week. And here is more. I didn't hear this sound yet. Dan uh, got this um, from um, Sunday night, but here was Kevin Durant on what happened with a fan throwing something at Kyrie Irving in Boston. I mean, fans got to grow up at some point. I know that being in the house for a year and a half with the pandemic, um, got a lot of people on edge, got a lot of people uh, stressed out. Um, but when you come to these games, you got to realize, man, these, these, these men are human. You know, we're not animals. We're not in a circus. Um, you coming to the game is not all about you as a fan. So have some respect for the game. Have some respect for these human beings. And have some respect for yourself. Your mother wouldn't be... Uh, proud of you throwing water bottles at, at basketball players or spitting on players or tossing popcorn. So grow the f*** up uh, and, and enjoy the game. You know, it's bigger, than, it's bigger than you. It's so true. And I don't know why this is hard. There's no need for it and it needs to stop. Like, it, you know, we, we're just getting fans back at games. This should be something that's fun. This should be a good story. And instead it's being turned into a negative because it's not everybody. It's, it's, it's the small one percentage of morons. But those morons need to be weeded out and cannot be allowed at games anymore. And I don't know why it's so difficult. And I dealt with this for years at the link as an usher. I was an usher at the link for 10 years. The rules really are not that complicated. There's a lot of leeway for fans. It's really not that hard. 
You can boo. You can say you suck. You can have good nature ribbing. There are certain things you don't do. And I don't know why. Why is this hard? You don't throw things. You don't curse. You don't insult people's families. You don't be racist. Like, why is this so difficult for people to understand? And it is so frustrating to me. that, And it's something I feel deeply passionate about. Because, and you know, any moron that defends these people, oh, these guys make a lot of money. The popcorn's not hurting anybody. It is, it is demeaning. It is disrespectful. And I don't care how you feel about Russell Westbrook. I don't care how you feel about Kyrie Irving. You don't do that to people, okay? It is disrespectful. And I don't care how much money they're making compared to you. I don't care what you think of them. I don't, I don't give a damn. You don't do it. And it's got to stop. And, I mean, for it's such a bad look. It's just such a bad look that the week we get fans back, the week we're allowed full capacity, when we're allowed to pack these buildings, you got a bunch of people acting like idiots and ruining it, ruining what should be a great moment. And it's something that has infuriated me about the past week. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. I want to know how you feel about it. Because it's something I am I feel extremely passionate about. And um, it's been a really frustrating week from that regard. When this should be a week where we're celebrating coming out of what's been a very difficult time for a lot of people in this country. 215 592 Nine four nine four. Let's get Mike in South Philly in here. What's up, Mike? How's it going, Tom? What's going on, man? Yeah, so I, I agree with you on half of it, and I disagree with you. I agree with you on everything you said about how it's, it's been, it should never be done, et cetera, et cetera. Where I disagree with you is that um, it, it shouldn't ruin the playoffs for people. Like, the media has chosen to make this a story. It shouldn't be a story. Like, you give these people the attention that they're craving – it should just be dealt with behind the scenes. You have a fan do something dumb. They either get kicked out and or banned and or arrested. And you just deal, let the you know, arena staff and the organization and law enforcement, whatever combination, deal with it behind the scenes. It doesn't have to impact people's enjoyment of the NBA. People have chosen to you know, make that a thing. Like the, the media doesn't have to cover this. Like well, they, well, they chose, they've chosen to give these people the attention. They've chosen to make this headline news. I don't think they should make it headline news. I think you react in the moment just like you do anything else, and when it's done, it's done, and you just move on and just let and just follow the playoffs as you would normally. Well, this is where I disagree with that, Mike, is because it's obviously something that really frustrates the players, and I understand why it would frustrate the players, and if the players feel like they want to say something about it, that's something the media is going to cover, and it's become an issue because it's been – such, uh, you know, it's happened at such a high rate this week. And if players, you know, want to speak out about it and they think it's an issue, I I, I think it's something the media kind of has to cover. And if you don't cover it, then it can just keep happening, uh, you know, behind the scenes. I think when you cover it, hopefully it will, you know, make these or make these arenas have better better protocols, um, better ways to get people out of there because it, it can't happen. Like, I, I'm sorry. I, I I don't think this is a media-created issue. I think this is an issue created by stupid fans. Well, I think 
what you're getting is, and you see this with a lot of things, even outside just in crime in general, you see copycats. And what you see is whenever something, like, I don't think if, for example, now this is just my personal opinion. It's my theory. I, obviously, I can't prove this. I don't think if the, um, if the originals uh, didn't, you know, didn't get media attention, I don't think what would have happened would have happened to Boston. That I think you see these copycats out there who they go, oh, they have this idea in their head, and they go, oh, now, hmm, this guy did something. He threw something at a player. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a tough guy and try to do it to show how, how, how tough of a guy I am. And um, maybe, but but Mike, so Kyrie Irving's just supposed to get a bottle thrown at him, not no, say no, anything about it. No, he can say whatever he wants, and he can he, he's perfectly, and he should feel angry about it. Um, but I think when look, for example, when was the Sixers game? Like two Wednesday. Okay, yeah, we're still hearing about it today. Like I think you cover it after the game, you talk about it, and then you move on. And but we're still talking about it, and I think that is that is motivating fans out there to do this stuff, and um, and it's just it's going to compound the problem. Now you allow the organizations, like you said, to to figure out protocols or whatever to get uh, players out if, if necessary without getting hit, and maybe added security, you know, whatever they have to do in the arenas. But that's stuff that they should deal with behind the scenes. But I think people are allowing these playoffs to be affected by it by you know, you know just allowing these fans to ruin it for them. You know, you don't allow these morons to ruin the playoff experience for you. Like, there's nothing – like, we can't control what, what, what those idiots at the games do. There's nothing we can do about it. You know, that stuff has to be dealt with by the, uh, the proper authorities. No, I hear you, but it's being covered because the players are speaking about it. And if the players are speaking about it, that's something the media is going to cover. Yeah, I, and I understand that perspective. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, like, when you're in the locker room in the game, you're not, you're not going to air the clips or anything. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's just, just my general feeling on it. Um, now we'll see, like, you know, what if like, you know, just hypothetically, I don't think this would happen, but, you know, like say it happens uh, once every couple games for the rest of the playoffs, is it just going to like, is it going to be a, a story over and over? Is at some point people are just going to go enough, you know, we have to draw the line at some point. Well, I would hope that it, it motivates these arenas to have better security. And it, it just, it frustrates me that we even need to still go through this, Mike, honestly. And I know there are always going to be your idiots out there, <clears throat> but it just it bothers me. It bothers me because I don't think the rules of being civil and living in a civil society where we treat each other with respect, I don't think, you know, they're that difficult to follow, honestly. Oh, no, I agree. And then, you know, I wonder how much alcohol at the games has something to do with it, too. Some people are just complete bleep holes when they get liquored up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when they're drowning alcohol. Um, uh, so, but anyway, um, uh, to touch on the fills that you were mentioning earlier, do you think that, obviously, this is, I just want your opinion, obviously. You know, I don't know if you have the schedule in front of you or whatever, if you've mm. even thought about that I much. actually do, yeah. Do you, I don't think the Phillies are going to get back over 500 again this year. They might uh, not. I mean, they, they really might not, Mike. Now, do you, what was their record last season? By, do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, I'm not, were they above 500 last year? That they, they were, above? I think, 28-32 and 32 last year. Okay. That 60-game season. So what I'm wondering is, right, if they say they take a step back this year, like what changes can you do? Like you've already, you fired the manager and you hired a new manager. You hired basically a new staff. Um, you brought in a new president of baseball operations. Uh, your payroll is kind of right up against it. Um, so if this season continues at the pace that it's going, and if they do, say they fall like six or seven games under 500, I, I, then I don't think they're going to get back over because I just can't see this team at any point in the season winning like seven of eight, 
Like, I, I think they're going to be what they are all season. They'll win two games here. They'll lose three there. They might win four. They'll lose five. Like, I just don't think they're going to put a, a consistent enough win streak um, to get back over 500. And they do, it'll, it'll only be for, like, a brief period. Uh, but if this season continues at, at, at the path it's going and they're just, you know, hovering around, you know, like a few games under 500 or worse, um, you know, ha- what changes can they make? Like, what can they do? They've already gutted the, the managerial staff. They've already changed the front office. Like, what can they possibly do? I mean, the, I guess the only option would be to, for John Middleton to decide if he wants to go all in uh, money-wise, because uh, I don't think he's going to gut the team and, you know, trade for prospects. I don't know what they can do, and it's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, Mike. And you look at the schedule here. I mean, these next six games, if, they're, if they have any chance in hell of turning this thing around, it's the next six games. Because they got three at Cincinnati – then three at home against Washington, who's not playing well right now. After that, you have the Braves at home for three, Yankees at Dodgers, at Giants. Then you come home two against the uh, against the Nationals, at Mets for four, Miami, San Diego, Chicago. You start playing some really difficult competition. And, um, you know, these next six games, if they have any chance to maybe get some momentum, I, th- I think it's in the next week. You know, it's a couple of things. You just reminded me of something, by the way. Um, but, yeah, uh, and the Braves will obviously be um, be uh, a little bit weaker because, uh, obviously, we saw what happened with uh, Ozuna. Um, you saw that? Uh, yeah, yeah, Ozuna yeah, with that, the that, domestic not, violence yeah, issue. Yeah, that's not good. He, he'll probably be done for the year. He should be. Uh, yeah. yeah, if not for, for forever. But, right. Um, but so that'll weaken the Braves. Um, but I, I still think the Braves are better. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about, too, right, over the last – you know, year a couple of years. You know, it's been it's been an ongoing theme, right? Whenever players leave the Phillies uh, team, they get better, and whenever players come here, they typically struggle. Well, it's kind of like bled into the manager, <laughs> where you see Gabe Kapler has one of the best records in baseball out with the Giants, and honestly, Tom, look, this could all be just coincidental. You never know if this stuff has any rhyme or reason to it, but. When it's a trend and it's this significant of a trend, you just have to wonder if it's some deep, you know, cultural thing going on with this organization that I, I don't even know where you start with it, to be honest. Yeah, Mike, I, and I appreciate it, man. Yeah, Pickerman. I think it's something you really got to look at is, I mean, because no, no solution has worked. Like, Middleton went and spent a ton of money in 2019, didn't work. Um, they fired Kapler, bring in Girardi, didn't work. Bring in Dombrowski, you know, Sam Fold, even though I don't know what Sam Fold's doing on a day-to-day basis. If you're not managing the 26-man roster and you're not deciding who goes on the IL, who doesn't, I don't know what you're doing because that's been a a mess. Um, Nothing's worked. Nothing this team has tried has worked. And maybe it is something organizational uh, that deep. But, yeah, they're in big-time trouble. And you look at the schedule, it gets brutal. After the next week, and if the Phillies have any opportunity to turn it around, I think it is right now. 215-592-9494. Let's get Nick in Collegeville in here. What's up, Nick? Hey, guy. How you doing? What's going on? Uh, First, I wanted to just bring up the playoffs real quick. Um, I know I'm calling into the Philly area station or whatever, but the Eastern Conference is – going as expected and the Western Conference is going as expected but in the West it's a little more unknown like the first round I wanted well I won it but I took every series to go seven games 
and so far it's kind of looking that way. I don't know if Utah-Memphis is going to go seven. I, I, I hope it does. I like Memphis, but I don't know if Memphis can hang with them for seven. I don't know either, but I, I don't know. I mean, Ja can do it, and I really want, you know, Valanchunas to do it too, but that's another thing. But, um, I mean, I'm a Nuggets fan, so I'm out west. So. Okay. Man, yeah. I'll tell you what, Nick. But, it's such a shame – that they lost Murray because if they had Jamal Murray, I think the Nuggets would have had a real chance to go to the finals. I was actually that was getting ready to be my point because um, I, I live well. I was born and raised in this area, Philadelphia, Abington, whatever. But I was going to say the whole before the whole COVID thing. I wanted this year to be the Nuggets and the Sixers in the finals, but COVID made me, you know, not want that because of the fans. But now we're having fans, and I want it, but we don't have Murray. And to be real, I actually want Embiid to win the MVP, but I don't think it's going to be it's, – it's going to happen because I think maybe if we would have played 15 more games, he would have had it. But next year is what I want, Nuggets and Sixers in the finals. That's what I'm going to talk about. Like, yeah. that's the playoffs, yeah. It could happen. Could happen, Nick. I would like to see that. But, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate it. No. And then um, the one thing I want to say with sure. this whole NBA, like everybody coming back to the stadiums and stuff, the the way people are acting, it's, it's nuts. It's weird. And, I mean, I'm kind of a little – I won't say I'm used to it. I, I watch wrestling. So I'm I'm used to you know the wild you know wild stuff, but uh, uh, I don't know. From top to worst, I think the spitting on Trey Young was probably the worst. Um, the racial slurs, throwing yeah, that, the water bottle, yeah. and then the popcorn. But it's just it's like it's like it's not it's just it's stupid. It like is you stupid. Can't, there's no. There's no need or no reason for that. I don't mind the whole, like I was watching the Knicks and the Hawks series. I don't mind the whole F Trey thing no. or whatever that they were yelling and all that. But uh, once it gets beyond that, it's just, I don't know if even like people have been saying, I don't know if they think just because you buy a ticket, you have the right to just be stupid or whatever i don't know if it's just the alcohol i'm not gonna want to blame it on alcohol but um i think it's just more of people feeling like they have that right because they spent that money yeah no i hear you nick and i appreciate the call and you don't have that right and you know and the f trey young thing that's fine whatever and i used to when i ushered i would try to keep people from cursing you can't keep people from cursing you know you try to do that but Whatever. You know, that stuff is fine. Honestly, I think the players enjoy it. Like, the players enjoy the back and forth with the fans. Joel Embiid said, said it. He enjoys the back and forth with the fans. But there are limits. And I saw this dope Jeff Goodman, who is ESPN. He, I think he's like ESPN NBA draft guy, whatever. Um, he tweets out that, yeah, it was disrespectful to throw a water bottle at, Trey, uh, at Kyrie Irving. But it was also disrespectful of Kyrie Irving to stomp on the Celtics logo. Like, are we 
seriously equating those two things? Kyrie Irving, and I'm not a huge Kyrie Irving fan. I think when he was in Boston, he acted like a baby, and he tore apart that that roster in the locker room. And, you know, the reporting would tell you that Kyrie Irving was not a great teammate when he was in Boston. But Kyrie Irving, that's, that's, a, that's a good-natured, fun thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't entitle anybody to throw a bottle at him. And it's just... It's 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 a disgrace. It is, and um, it's got to stop. And you know, just talking with Mike in South Philly, it's being covered because the players are tired of it, and the players are speaking out about it. And um, I don't have a problem with the players speaking out about it. It's something that they have to deal with. We don't have to deal with it. I can tell you what, if you know, I was doing a show out at a remote, and I said something that people didn't like, and they were throwing crap at me, I'd be pretty annoyed too. And just think of it that way, because these are these people's jobs. And, you know, you can heckle them. You can, you know, yell stuff to them as long as it's appropriate. Uh, the racist stuff to John Morant is just disgraceful. Um, and anybody who does that should never be allowed another game again. But, uh, you know, as uh, you, there are certain lines you cannot cross. And it does bother me that these lines are being crossed just as we're getting fans back a lot of games, um, it, it's frustrating. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. James, I see you there. James will be first after the break, and then you. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Memorial Day Monday morning. Um, in the next segment, I did want to let you hear a little bit of Ruben Amaro with John and Ike on Friday talked about an interesting week from Joe Girardi. And Ruben's obviously worked in a bunch of different capacities in Major League Baseball as a player, a coach, a GM. Um, So we'll let you uh, hear just a little bit of that in the next segment as well. But talking about the NBA, the NBA playoffs and this fan behavior, which has been very frustrating, as well as the Phillies and their disastrous weekend. Let's go to James, who wants to talk Phils. What's up, James? Yeah, I want to ask you some questions, Tom. Sure. Phillies, Eagles, and Sixers, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, if there was any pitcher in baseball, Mac League or National League, that you could trade for Aaron Nola, who would it be? I mean, if you can have any pitcher in baseball? Any pitcher right now in baseball that you could trade for Aaron Nola, who would it be? Hmm. I'd have to look I have to look closer at that, uh honestly, James. I'm not sure who's who's doing, you know, great this year across baseball. Okay, I've been um, overly, overly focused on it. Who do you see merging as the second outside receiver for the Eagles? And do you think that the starting corner is on the roster now, or they are they going to trade for one? Well, I I, my, I think they will trade for one, and I think that that second receiver it better be Jalen Rager. Like it better be Jalen Rager. If it's not Jalen Rager, they got a problem. He's going to be in the slot though. I'm yeah, talking about the outside receiver. They're going to be moving him around. Like, I think he's going to play in the slot. He'll play on the outside. If if, if Rager's predominantly in the slot, I, I would honestly, I'd, I'd hope it would be Fogel. Okay. And my Sixers question. If the Sixers lose in the playoffs, do you see them trading Ben Simmons at the end of the season? Depends how it happens. And, and I hate for that to be a little bit of a cop-out, James, but it, it depends. Like, if you lose and Ben offensively is the main reason why you lose. 
I think, uh, you know, it could potentially happen, but I think it depends on, you know, the nature of how you were, were to lose that series. ATK, is Brand still around? Because he I is. don't hear nothing about him. I hear Daryl Morey all the time. He's the, assistant. Hear... He's the assistant to Daryl Morey now. Oh, he's the assistant to Daryl Morey. Yes. One more question real fast, sure. and I'll hang up and listen. Um, uh, who do you see having a better future or a longer future with the six Shake Milton or Tyrese Maxey? Oh, Tyrese Maxey, no doubt about it. And I appreciate it, James. Thanks. Shake Milton, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's a crisis of confidence with him right now, what's going on, but Shake Milton looks completely lost. Like, he looks completely lost. Tyrese Maxey is ahead of him in the rotation. Tyrese Maxey's going to be a hell of a player. I just, I didn't think he'd be ready yet, but he's, he's ready. And he is contributing to this team. And Shake Milton, I don't know what's going on, but he looks like a guy who's completely lost his confidence. And Doc is trying to put him out there. You know, Maxey got minutes ahead of him on Saturday with the second unit. But when the game was kind of out of hand, out of hand a little bit, Doc tried getting Milton in, and he just can't get anything going. And I just I don't know how you play him in any kind of big time minutes uh, moving forward here. Let's go to Scott and Cherry Hill. What's up, Scott? Hey, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? All righty. I got just uh, an observation. Uh, for the record, I think the fan behavior is disgusting. Throwing bottles, spitting, the racial nonsense. Just no place for it nowadays. That being said, is it possible the players invited it by becoming spokesmen for social causes other than basketball, baseball, football, whatever? putting themselves out there as leaders beyond their area of expertise. And why, why is it beyond their area of expertise? Well, maybe that's, maybe that's wrong choice of words. They're known for playing sports. Suddenly they're uh, known for social issues. Well, I mean, maybe- Scott, Scott, just, just so we're clear on this, Players voicing political opinions like this is not something new. Like, I, I don't I don't understand how all of a sudden this has become something where I like to keep my sports and politics separate. That's never been the case. I mean, people are entitled to their opinions and these players are entitled to their political opinions and their opinions on these matters. And I don't think just because their job is playing sports that they should have to shut their mouths. And if they want to espouse their opinions, they want to make their opinions known, it's a free country and they're free to do so. And do you think that they're inviting a counter-argument? No, no. Why? Because they have a certain political opinion. People are are allowed to throw things at them? No, no, I don't believe that. I did not say that I was very clear. There's no excuse. Well, well, what do you, well, Scott? No, you weren't clear because what do you mean they're? Inv- how are they inviting it then? Well, they're they're inviting. You know, I, I like this. Well, no, that's stupid. You should like that. You know, the typical political argument. Yeah, but what? Why does that? But again, like, what do? You, how does that invite somebody to throw something at them? Uh, I said that the throwing is wrong. I thought I was clear on that. Forgive me. Well, so what? What? I mean, what do you think? They're what, opening what, themselves up to debate. Yeah, to now, debate. That That is not people throwing things at them. Now, you can say you're choosing your words carefully, Scott, 
but like I don't I'm I'm confused where you say it's wrong but you also say the players are inviting it. Well, they're inviting the debate. Yeah, but debating is and and I appreciate the call. Debating is not throwing a water bottle at somebody. Like I don't I I don't understand the point. I don't. Um and I I don't I never understood this either like oh, all of a sudden players are are outspoken politically. Athletes have always been outspoken politically. Muhammad Ali was 60 damn years ago. He was outspoken politically. This is nothing new. I mean, and it's I find it very, you know, interesting. And I really don't like getting into political stuff. But, you know, a lot of the people who say that the athletes shouldn't speak out politically are politicians that are talking about sports. So, I mean, I, I don't understand. Like, the sports guy, the, the athletes can't talk about politics, but the politicians can talk about how athletes should view politics. I, I, and, again, I hate talking about politics. I don't know much about politics. But that seems a little hypocritical to me. You know, when, you know, politicians are allowed to talk about how athletes should view politics and how athletes should talk about politics but then athletes aren't allowed to talk about politics. And it's not just athletes. It's musical artists. It's actors and actresses. Like, public figures use their platforms all the time right. to say whatever and to suggest that they're somehow inviting violence and, against them is ridiculous. And, and what it is is, you know, and this is something that that you see, is people believe in free speech until it's free speech they disagree with. And That's then, exactly right. And then, you know, it's funny how freedom... And, you know, give me my freedoms and free speech and all this. stuff. It's funny how it disappears when somebody gives an opinion that you disagree with. So that's all all I really have to say about that. Let's go to Matt Matt in Manhattan. What's up, Matt? Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How are you doing, man? Excellent. Thanks. Um, Look, I'm psyched about the Sixers. Embiid looks awesome. Simmons looks like he's getting his stuff together. But I just want to pause everybody. The Wizards are, are the Bullets or whatever they're called these days. They're not that good. Oh, yeah. They are not a good team. They're not a good team. So I appreciate everybody calling in and being excited. I'm excited. I love watching the games, but they're a horrible team. The NBA is a horrible product. It's, it's not quite as bad as baseball is, but it's a horrible product. I mean, it really is. Well, you that... have 30 teams, 16 of them make the playoffs a bad product, especially yeah. in these. Matt, I disagree with that. I, I think that Washington is a bad team, but I look at it as even a bad team like Washington can have a tremendous player like Bradley Beal. Like, even the bad teams have really good players. I think there's a lot of talent in the league. Um, you're just not going to have a, a ton of good teams. And um, I personally, I don't think it, it is a bad product. I just think Washington's a bad team. Well, and I don't think I don't would think you, it's that you, insane for the eight seed to be bad. That's normally the way. It is. Would you take Beal over uh, Simmons? Yeah, I probably would. Yeah, if, I, if, I would as I would as well. Yeah, but the thing is, is there's only so many minutes. And there's only five players on the court for each team at, at all times. So you're going to have somebody who puts up stats. And I would take I would take Beal over Simmons any day. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. I really would. And then I watched Tatum go off tonight, and I think, God, the process worked really well. Embiid is a game changer. I mean, he really is. Much love. I mean, that dude is awesome. 
But yeah. imagine had we not did the trade up for faults and we just want to say where we are and got Tatum. And I mean, imagine how great this team could have been. And what it could have, should have. Yeah, I get that. No, but. yeah, yeah, no, it's true, Matt. And I appreciate the call. But I'll say this as far as that. Like, the Fultz thing will always bother us, but we, you know, and we rue our draft failures at times, whether it be, you know, Zyre Smith over Michael Bridges, the Fultz thing. But I don't think, and Dan, I want to know if you agree with this. I don't think we are thankful enough that we lucked into Joel Embiid. Like, the Sixers wanted to draft Andrew Wiggins. Like, I know that for a fact. The Sixers wanted Andrew Wiggins. If the Sixers had gotten the number one pick, they would have taken Wiggins. If Embiid hadn't broken his foot the week before the draft, the Cavs would have traded Embiid and probably traded him to Minnesota or Embiid would have been in Cleveland. And who knows? Maybe Embiid stays healthy. He's in Cleveland. And maybe him and LeBron end up, you know, being this insane tandem in Cleveland, and, the, you know, they have Kyrie and, and all that. But um, the Sixers lucked into Joel Embiid, and I don't think we we are thankful enough that that happened. Well, we never talk about the good draft picks. We just harp on the bad ones. But I, it's funny you mention this because I thought about this exact same thing watching the Celtics-Nets of, like, wow, imagine if things went differently and they ended up with Andrew Wiggins, who is no longer in the playoffs, or Jabari Parker, who has just basically had a not incredibly impactful career, is now playing backup minutes on the Celtics. Like, we got the we got the best guy. Oh, it's By not far. Even, it's, it's not even it's, close. No. And if that went the other way, we would complain all day about how some other team got Joel Embiid. They got the best player in the draft, the best big man in the league, and he's the best player on a team that at least is going to make the conference finals, has the potential to make the NBA finals. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And, um, you know, I think we should be pretty thankful – for that moving forward because Joel Embiid is, is a, you know, he's unbelievable. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing how he's going to follow up his Game 3 performance on Game 4 on Monday night. But we'll continue talking about the NBA later on. I did want to, want to let you hear a little bit of Ruben Amaro was on with John and Ike um, from uh, Friday on Joe Girardi's Weird Week. So we'll do that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WYP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly uh, in for Big Daddy Graham on this Monday morning. And we talked about the Joe Girardi situation a little earlier. And as I've told you, I think Joe Girardi's handling this situation extremely poorly. I think he's being a big baby. Um, the media is just trying to do their jobs. And, you know, the way he's acting, I think, is is childish, completely childish. But I wanted to get the perspective of Somebody's been in a similar position. Ruben Amaro, who has worked in so many facets of Major League Baseball. He's a player. Uh, obviously, we remember his tenure as a general manager in Philadelphia, which was mixed. Um, a lot of success at the beginning, which the Phillies paid for later on and, and honestly never really recovered from. Ruben, not completely to blame for that, certainly, but um, the Phillies never really recovered from that kind of, you know, paying for not rebuilding sooner. Um, but Ruben was GM here, was a coach with the Mets following his tenure as GM here and worked in, in a ton of different capacities. And I really wanted to let you hear his perspective because he joined John and Ike on Friday and I thought gave some really interesting insights 
to this situation with Joe Girardi and some other things with the Phillies. Here was Joe Gir- or Ruben Amaro Jr. on with the afternoon go- guys on Friday. Ruben Amaro Jr. joins us. So, Ruben, what's up, man? How are you? What's happening, guys? How's it going? What's up, Rube? What is your reaction, uh, Rube? I, I, you did the morning show with me on, uh, I guess it was Wednesday, or I don't even remember now. Uh, yeah, Wednesday, and it was the day after Joe Girardi had to say, yes, I lied about Bryce Harper, his injuries, and then after yesterday's game, he wouldn't answer questions, and he said that it was just he's just going to say it's a managerial decision when asked about Gene Sakura. What's your reaction? I, I, I know that this is a, probably a difficult spot. I don't know what he's hearing from upstairs, if they're telling him to stop giving information on injuries, but what's your reaction to this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of curious. I think what one of the things that, that's happened now with um, with some of the pregame stuff is that, you know, typically some of that stuff, some of the injury stuff would come from the front office and they'd give you updates or they'd shoot them out through, um, you know, through the PR folks. And unfortunately, that, that becomes like one of the biggest topics every single day. And then when he's on his Zoom you know, then he's having to answer those questions as opposed to answering answering baseball questions. And it's really kind of a pain in the rear end. Mm. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's the way the world is right now. I just remember either Scott Profrock or myself giving those injury updates more readily than, you know, Charlie Manuel, for instance, um, because that's didn't feel like that was their job. Now, unfortunately... Um, it's a whole new world out there as far as, you know, you know giving information and, and, and that sort of thing. And so it puts – it kind of puts, um, you know, the managers in a difficult position because they don't want to lose a competitive edge, and I get it. And at the same time, you don't want to be, like, lying to the press. That's not you – know, I don't think that they want to readily be lying to folks. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, it's – it's a weird situation, and and uh, I guess that's the way they're dealing with it. Mm, do you think that Segura was injured? Because now now we just have to we have to wonder if maybe he was a little bit banged up. Because so he goes in, he pinch hits for Brad Miller, who's playing second base, but he doesn't take the field. Eight uh, Maton takes the field, so I mean the the question was legitimate. It's not like they were digging for TMZ type stuff. I mean, it's a legitimate question. It's just it's going to be tough for Joe to not answer baseball questions for the rest of the year. Ike thinks this, and I tend to agree, that once everything kind of calms down, it'll kind of get back to the way it was before. Yeah, I think so. And, again, there's so many different variations of what's going on with the injuries these days. You know, it's uh, you know, it's an IL for COVID. There's a COVID-related stuff. There's there's all types of different things going on. And again, I mean, it's a, it's a strange, um, you know, it's a strange way to have to disseminate this information. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, if I was Joe, I wouldn't want to be answering like health questions every single day. It's something I'd rather have somebody else do. Um, You know, his job, I think, um, I know it's to be the face, part of the face of the franchise, but the way things are set up PR wise now in major league baseball, they're like the only guy that's on Zoom. I know that they typically would have that scrum before, and they talk about some things, and, and it, it, there'd be a, a looser conversation or right. what have you. But it's just so different now with the Zooms and, you know, the way information is being disseminated and, and the way, you know, the press is able to or unable to interact with the with the coaches and the staff and the players. I'm wondering, Rube, can, can it be difficult for the manager – 
when it comes to handling players and even with the front office being on the same page with the with the athlete as to how injured that guy is should he go on the IL um because I'm asking this because there's a point where you got a couple of your star players that are just not playing, but they aren't on the IL at the time, and your bench is short. So now that affects the manager and how he handles the game in in-game situations. I'm just wondering, is it difficult for Joe Girardi to sort of be able to manage the team and, and, and games with players while also trying to manage guys who can't go at the time and whether or not they're injured versus being hurt at, at the yeah. moment? Yeah, I think one of the most frustrating things for a manager is not being able to utilize the assets that you have. And when they're kind of banged up, um, you know, they uh, it, 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 puts, it puts the manager in a tough spot. I was a little surprised that in the cases of D.D., J.T., and Bryce, it had taken a little bit too long to, to put guys on. I have a feeling that many much of the issue was really the Phillies didn't have a ton of depth to be able to bring people up. I mean, who are they going to bring? And people were not uh, particularly playing all that well. And and on top of that, they probably had those types of injuries that were just so, um, you know, it's kind of strange that, okay, one day, you know, Bryce felt okay. The next day didn't feel so great. Uh, and he had, he had a numerous uh, bunch of things going on with him. JT, same way with the thumb. Uh, in the hand and what have you, one day, you know, it's tricky. One day it can feel great, and and, and you're hoping that he'll be able to play the next day or be able to be available, and then it's not. Then D.D. had a very strange, you know, blow up on his elbow. I mean, these are all things that you were hope, you would hope to be able to resolve within the next, within a couple of days, but they were getting, kind of getting stretched out. And they just, all three of them had these really weird um, uh, injuries that you just couldn't pinpoint, and so – they didn't want to put them on a deal. They didn't have to, but I think finally they decided. You know what? <laughs> it's been too long. We got to we got to replace them. Now we have to. And like you talked, if there was better depth in the minor leagues, they, maybe they look at it and say, "All right, let's take a chance. Maybe he's back in two or three days, as opposed to putting him on the shelf for ten. Because what you have in the minors coming up here really isn't a huge upgrade. Well, that's part of it. That's one. But the other part of it is you know, having to manage your roster, right? So. So there may be may not be guys that you feel are are ready who are on the roster, and there might you might have to replace them with a guy and put them another guy. Then you're then you're risking losing players, yeah. which of course you don't want to do because then you have to designate somebody for assignment. You either got to trade them or release them or put them through waivers. You don't want to have to do that. And you want to try to keep your depth as long as you possibly can, unless you feel players just not going to help you. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, you know it, it's a difficult situation to, to try to manage the roster when there's so many people going on the DL at this time. It's Drew Ruben Amaro Jr. Ruben, uh, Spencer Howard has looked good. He in in his first four innings, uh, and then the fifth came, and he I don't know if he ran out of gas, but he loaded the bases, and uh, Ranger Suarez had to come in and save the day. But I they, I was reading something today where they were talking about because he had lost velocity in the previous start, and he was talking about how he was eating a peanut butter banana and a protein bar, and he had to make sure that he had all this protein. Like, they're they're going to great lengths just to get a guy to pitch, Ruben. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's good, good stuff. He's, he's a good prospect. But, it, I mean, is, is he a bull – like, when you look at him, is he a bullpen pitcher? Because they're going through – they're jumping through a lot of hoops just to make him a starter that can go four or five innings at this point. Well, see, part of the problem is the guy has never thrown more than three or four innings in the minor leagues. I mean, throughout his entire career since he's been signed, which – um you know, maybe a product of the fact that 
this is the plan that they had for him. I mean, a lot of organizations are doing this sort of thing. They're not stretching guys out. Uh, they're being very careful with them. Um, I think that um, my, my personal feeling is that I think pitchers just in general being babied to the point where they're not being groomed to be able to throw seven, eight, nine innings. Now it's like, okay, let's try to get this guy healthy enough so that he can throw, you know, four quality innings, five quality innings. And you see like epidemic numbers of, of um, you know, bullpens having to cover all these innings because no one's groomed anymore to pitch as a starter. I mean, it's, to me, it's ridiculous. But um, this is the world that we live in in this day and age. I don't understand it. I don't believe in it. I think it's a bunch of crap, frankly. And this young man has not really had an opportunity to get stretched out. He's never pitched in the sixth inning, I don't think, in at, at any level. Right. I don't think that he's ever pitched in the sixth inning at any level. I, I could be wrong there. But if he had, this maybe once in his once or twice in his entire career. So to me, um, you know, and, and, and I think that there's a total, totally different stress on a, on a major league pitcher pitching versus uh, pitching in the minor leagues. You know, to me, you throw 100 pitches in the minor leagues, it's like throwing 60 in the, in the big leagues, um, just mentally and physically. And so you have to groom guys, in my opinion, you have to groom kids to throw 100, 120 pitches in the minor leagues and so that they can at least, you know, you know, move into the 70, 80, 90, 100 range when they're pitching at the major league level. There you have it. Rube, have a great weekend, man. Enjoy your weekend, okay, brother. Guys. You guys have a great one, too. Yeah. Good to talk to yeah. you. It's, 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 it's crap. Love it. Love it from Ruben. And that was Ruben Amaro Jr. with an interesting take on it. And, I mean, I, I I understand how this is a situation that it puts Girardi in a situation to update everything. But, you know, this is the situation we're in. I don't know what else can be done. I think Joe Girardi's got to handle it like an adult. And I don't think he has. And, um... You know, I think it's pretty funny. He says, I respect the media's doing their job. No, you don't. You don't care. And that question about Gene Segura, that was that was not an injury-related question. That was a legitimate question. He pinch hits, comes out. Maton comes in when he thinks Segura will be left in the double switch. I don't, I just don't get it. I don't get what the resistance is on Joe Girardi's part. And it frustrated, it frustrated me. To hear it, and you know, you hear Ruben talk about it there, and then also the Spencer Howard thing. I thought that was really interesting. Um, that and a lot of old school baseball people hate where the game's gone, and man, it it can be tough to watch sometimes. It really can. With all the strikeouts, starters never go deep in a games. They never go deep, um, and it is frustrating. But uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Where he says it's crap. You know, the the starters not going deep and getting guys out early and. Um, I certainly understand that approach. I'd like to see guys go deeper into games, too. But I wanted to let you hear that. I thought it was a pretty interesting perspective from Ruben Amaro Jr. I'm Tom Kelly. When we get back, I do want to talk a little bit about an NFL trade situation um, that that is getting a lot of of, uh, interest lately um, in regards to a certain player. So we'll get to that when we get back and whether I think the Eagles should be involved. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. On a Memorial Day Monday, and in the next segment, as 
you know, I'm excited for like 520 when I get off the air today. I'm not going to lie. I love being on the air. I love talking to the folks. But um, I'm very excited to go home and watch the finale of Mayor of Easttown, which has been absolutely tremendous. If you haven't watched on HBO, HBO Max, check it out. Um, And Glenn and Ray had Brad Inglesby, the creator of the show, on on Saturday as the finale aired last night. I haven't been on Twitter because I don't want it spoiled for me, but we'll let you hear that interview in the next segment here. Um, But uh, a tremendous show. I I highly recommend you check it out if you haven't. But real quick, I want to talk about an issue going on in the NFL right now because um, as the offseason continues, and we're not that far away from training camps, and this is what I love about the NBA season, and I've been trying to get Al on board with this forever as obviously this happened because pandemic, COVID situations. But this is the way the NBA schedule should always be. I mean, let the playoffs run through June, July. I mean, by the time the NBA finals are done, training camp's going to be getting underway. Like, this is the way the schedule should be. You usually have those dog days in June and July where it's just regular season baseball, and you got to watch the friggin' Phillies every single day. This is great. To have NBA playoffs going all through June and July. I love it. I hope the schedule stays this way um, for the long term here because I, I, for me as a fan, I love it. Um, but the NFL's a year-round league, and lately the big discussion is centered around Julio Jones and his possibility of being traded. He's apparently asked for a trade once out of Atlanta, and this was a funny thing from last week that I want to play. Uh, real quick is Shannon Sharp on I believe Undisputed is the name of his show with Skip Bayless on FS1 but this is how the news really kind of picked up here we knew there were rumblings but here was Shannon Sharp calling Julio live on the air and us really getting the confirmation that yeah Julio does not want to return to Atlanta we call okay we are calling we're calling calling. hmm You watching Julio? I really hope he answers here. Julio, have the guts to pick up the phone. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. All right. Julio. Hold on, hold on. Let me put you on. I got you. This is your favorite uncle. What's going on, bro? Man, nothing much. Try to go meet up with my brother. What's happening with you? Man, look. You want to go to the Cowboys, Julio? Or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man, nah, I'm out of there, man. You He's out, out. Of there? He's out of there. Oh, Are you going to... Ideally, where would you like to go? Um, uh, right now, I'm just... I want to win. Okay. Yeah. We don't go to Dallas. If you go to... You ain't winning in Dallas, Julio. Nah, I, you already... I, man, listen, come on, man. You already know I know. Okay. Can <laughs> <laughs> you, you remind him we're know. on television Ask right now? Ask me why we're the Dallas... Listen, sure. listen. You know how people is, man, with all that going right. on with the, the picture? Yeah. yeah. And all that stuff like that. Okay. Man, I ain't never been on that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. That's good enough. Yeah. Julio, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for calling me back. We on air, but I appreciate you calling me, dog. You know I know my nephew was going to pick up. Oh, yeah. Nah, nah. Yeah. I, ain't, I, ain't going, I ain't going to Dallas, man. I never thought about going to Dallas. Okay. I appreciate that, bro. Enjoy the rest of your day. Now he might not yeah. have any choice. <laughs> I mean, it's just so ridiculous. I mean, there, honestly, a really bad spot that Shannon Sharp put Julio Jones in um, to call him live on the air. 
uh, and <laughs> pretty much have him say live on the air, yeah, I don't want to go back to it. Like, that's got to stink for Atlanta fans who love this guy. Uh, he's been one of the better players for the franchise over the last decade plus. And, you know, I apparently Julio doesn't care about it. Um, that's been reported, but I think it's a terrible spot for him to be put in there. And I thought that was really unprofessional, Shannon Sharp. They're lucky Julio's not mad about it because that could have gotten really ugly. I mean, there are a lot of FCC regulations being broken there. And I thought a really bad spot for Julio, for Julio to be put in. But we talked about it with the Eagles a little last week. I don't see this as a fit for the Eagles. I don't see this as something that would make sense for them from a perspective of trading for Julio Jones. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense with where they are, what they'd have to give up. I would rather save the picks that you have for potentially needing quarterback because we don't know what Jalen Hurts is going to be. We can think Jalen Hurts might be good. I think he might be good, but we don't know. I'd rather save it in case you do want to go after Deshaun Watson or a quarterback down the line here. But, um, you know, Julio Jones is an interesting player. I think he makes sense for a contender. And a team that was reported to be in at this point is Seattle, and I think that's kind of like the perfect fit. Seattle's a team, they need to go all in. Like, I think you're in a spot with Russell Westbrook where, or Russell Russell Westbrook, Russell Wilson, I'm sorry, that if you don't win it, if you don't look like you're making progress this year, and I don't think this is a team that's going to be making significant progress, um, they probably look to move on from Russell Wilson and recoup some assets as they rebuild. I think that's probably the best situation for them. And I love Russell Westbrook, but let's face it. If you don't make progress this year, you're not going anywhere with Russell Westbrook. Or, <laughs> I did it again, with Russell Wilson long-term. Um, and nothing against Russell Wilson, but the rest of that roster is not good enough. Uh, that's really the perfect team for Julio. The Rams have been interested, apparently. I don't know what picks the Rams have left to trade. I find what the Rams are doing from a strategy perspective fascinating in terms of, like, they don't care about draft picks. Like, they are zigging when everybody else is zagging or zagging when everybody else is zigging. I'm not sure exactly how the, uh, how the term goes, but... Like, all these teams are very hesitant to give up top-level picks. The Rams are like, we want to just get players. We don't care about that. And I don't think it's a horrible situation to go down. And they just keep throwing picks, uh, trading picks for players. I, as I said before, I think Stafford's a little overrated. Like, I don't know how big an upgrade Stafford's going to be than Goff. I think Stafford's better, but I don't know if he's a Super Bowl-level guy. But that's a team I could see going in for Julio at this point. Um but, yeah, I don't see the Eagles doing it. And I think, you know, Julio, if you're going for after him, you're a team that thinks you're on the cusp. Like, if you think you're on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl, you go after Julio Jones. If you're not, if you're just a somewhat of a contender, like a Miami, somebody like that, I wouldn't do it. Um, I'd only do it if you're, you know, a team that thinks you can win the championship next year. Like a team like Washington, I've heard mentioned, um, I don't think it makes sense for them because I don't think they're really on the cusp. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the way I see the Julio Jones thing working out. But wanted to give you a quick update on that as the Seahawks were reported to be involved, and I think that's a team that makes some sense. Uh, when we get back, we'll let you hear Brad Inglesby join Glenn and Ray on Saturday morning, creator of Mayor of Easttown, which is a tremendous show. Uh, so that's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
The Easttown Police Department received a call reporting a dead body in Creedham Creek. We've decided to bring in a county detective to assist with the case. How do you like working with my mom so far? We're just getting started out. Any tips? Lower your expectations. <laughs> so great. Uh, what we're watching is brought to you by Guided Door and Window by Any Window or Door. Get the second and 50% off plus interest free financing up to 18 months. Call Guided Door and Window today, 1 877 Go Guida or visit go, G U I D A dot com. Brad Inglesby is the writer and creator of the HBO smash success Mayor of Easttown, which both Ray and I have been hooked on since the start. The final episode runs tomorrow night, 10 o'clock, with the promise many loose strings will be tied up and dramas solved. Brad is a successful screenwriter, comes from a successful family. His dad, Tom, was a starting guard for the 70-71 Villanova Hoops team that went to the NCAA Finals. His brother, Martin, is the head men's basketball coach at the University of Delaware. As we said, the final is tomorrow night, and Brad Inglesby is nice enough to join us. Uh, thank you for joining us. Congratulations on just a brilliant show. Oh, of course, guys. I'm, uh, I really appreciate you guys having me and appreciate you guys watching the show. Uh, okay. I want to, I want to start with this. Um, you have created something that is currently the talk of the nation in television. I, I saw a tweet from Stephen King yesterday where he's putting his theory as to who killed him. <laughs> My wife was at the hairdresser on Wednesday. I, I actually think it's the, where your mom gets her hair cut. And they're debating, oh and they're, they're all trying to figure out who the murderer is. It is the kind of that kind, those kind of stories must give you real satisfaction that you created something that's really the talk of the country on TV. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I'm incredibly incredibly grateful that people have responded in the way they've responded. And, and, and I think I'm most surprised, I guess, uh, by the whodunit of it all, because we, it was always written as kind of a character drama. And, um, and that was what was the most interesting part of the story in my mind was just having this character of Mare, having to grieve the loss of her son, how she's going to do that. So it was really, it was really a character piece. So I've been a little, I guess uh, I've been, you know, amazed at how into the whodunit of it all everyone's gotten. But as I said, incredibly grateful, you know, that people are watching the show and responding. And I hope they're excited about the finale. Oh, they are. There's no question about that, Brad. <laughs> and um, one of the things that and that's been written about and talked about a lot in this area um, is how is how right on you are and the director the directors and the and the actors are in terms of capturing the feel of this part of the country uh, the uh, mm -hmm. the accent um the you know everybody wears a hoodie um you have in the bars they have all the eagles paraphernalia up there's all the talk about the cheese steaks and the, uh, the rolling rock and the yingling i mean it's <laughs> i mean it's a lot of people kind of started watching a lot of people started watching the series because they were intrigued by the fact that they were, they heard so, that it was so Delco, that it was, it was. Uh, these are people yep. that you know, people are saying, these are people you know, these are people you live next door to, these are people you hang out yep. with, and that uh, that got mm -hmm. a lot of people watching. Now they're hooked on the mystery. Now they're trying to solve yeah. it like everybody else. But initially, yep. uh, a lot of people were drawn in by the Delcoism of it. And I, I have to tell, you, how much did you have? How much did you contribute to getting it so right? Well, I wrote all the episodes, and I think, you know, guys, what was interesting is that 
if we're going to tell a story about a specific uh, a community and this and this community, then it had to be you know it had to be specific in the details too. And so it was important that all the beers were right, that all the T-shirts were right, that all the music was right, because you know in the specific is the universal, right? The more specific it can be, and then the greater potential it has, I think. And so. Well, I, you know, and, you know, and also I just wanted to get it right. And I wanted to honor this part of the world where I grew up and I wanted to do it as a narrative thing in that I wanted everyone outside of this community to be able to, you know, to have the sense that it was specific and it was right on. And I also wanted to do it right just because that's where I grew up. And I wanted people, you know, all the people at home to respond in a way, you know, where they could sense that we had gotten it right. But I think it's it's just about getting the details right in that if you get the details right, everyone outside of the region is going to be convinced that you spent the time and you did the work and you have to capture a realistic image of this community. And so all the details were so important. And I was there on set every day. All the beers were written into the script. A lot of the <laughs> t-shirts were written into the script. A lot of the bands were written into the script. And so all the details were really, really important to me, and I'm glad that people have responded in that way. So the the coup here had to be getting uh, Kate Winslet to sign on because yes. it's a it's a completely unglamorous role for a very glamorous actress. How'd that come about? <laughs> so, guys, we had written two scripts. So we had two uh, so we had two episodes written early. And uh, I sent it off to my agent and we talked about some names, you know, some actress names. And he mentioned Kate. And as soon as I you know, heard Kate, I thought, well, I mean, God, that would be incredible. But I can't imagine we'll ever get Kate to do it. You know, it's 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 often hard to get actors to read things. But so we sent her the script and she read it overnight, I think, which is incredible. It usually takes weeks and weeks to get actors to read things. But she read it overnight. And, and I think we had a call a couple days later and it was just a quick chat. And she said, listen, I'm looking to do something different. I think she was getting ready to shoot Ammonite at that time. And I think she just wanted to do something that was completely unlike herself and challenging in a way. And she had never held a gun in any role that she had been in, which is amazing because she's had such an incredible career. Um, and I think she was just looking to do something totally different. And, mm -hmm. um, and then when you have Kate, everyone wants to do it, right? It just becomes a much different thing at that point. A script is a script. When you have an actress like her attached, everyone wants to be a part of it. And and she's just so wonderful in, in the show. She's an amazing actress and an amazing person. So I just feel incredibly lucky to have, have gotten the chance to work with her on this. And I'm still amazed at how how she melts into this role and how believable she is. You know, even in the opening episode, as soon as you see her, you, know, you completely – um, you just get the sense that she's been in this town. She's lived here her whole life, and mm -hmm. it's a testament, you know, to her acting ability that she's able to melt into a role like that. <laughs> There's there was the one great line that she has with with her young detective partner, the guy that they sent in to help her on the case, where he's been mm -hmm. with her for just the better part of one day, and and he says, "Are you re are you related to everybody in this town?" And she just very very easily just says, "Yeah." It just keeps going. Uh, I mean, it, it just so spoke to her character. And, you know, what Glenn said is so true. And that was one of the first things that registered with me is um, she is a very glamorous woman, but she doesn't mind 
deglamorizing herself if she like if it's the right part. And I remember seeing mm-hmm. her in the reader where it was mm-hmm. a very similar kind of thing. I mean, she was certainly not glamorous there, but she she right. just she just loved the part. She loved the script. She loved the part. And boy, she was yeah. great in that. I mean, I thought she was going to win the Oscar. But in this, Brad, in this thing, I mean, you introduced something about halfway through the series uh, where she she's sitting down with a psychiatrist now and talking mm-hmm. through a lot yep. of stuff. That wasn't right at the start. That's become that sort of becomes the last couple episodes. Um, but a couple yep. of those moments, a couple of those scenes with her and the psychiatrist are mm-hmm. so good and they are so yep. powerful that um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I think. I know I don't know how this is going to end tomorrow night. I can't wait to see it. But I think what my takeaway will probably be as much those sessions with the psychiatrist as anything else, because I think they tell you so much about what her agony has been. Well, I'm glad you say that, because that's the takeaway I want an audience to have. And, you know, an audience will tell us, you know, at the end, once all the cards are laid out on the table, how, you know, they're, everyone's going to have a reaction. But I think what I, I prefer audience to leave with is, is that they got to spend uh, a certain amount of time with a certain, you know, actress, a role, and and that it wasn't it wasn't about the mystery. I mean, obviously, I needed to have a mystery because the show has to entertain. There's got to be cliffhangers. We want the audience to come back each week. That's the entertainment of the show. But what I, you know, what I was more interested in was a portrait of a community and a portrait of a woman and a family broken. And, 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 you know, as a writer, that was the most interesting stuff. I like, I got such a kick out of writing those therapy scenes. That was the best stuff in my mind, the procedural stuff I had to get through and I want to make it entertaining, but I wanted it to be a character piece. So I'm really glad you say that. I'm really glad that those scenes have resonated the most because they were the, in my mind, all the emotional stuff was the most interesting. Brad Inglesby is our guest. Brad is a local guy from Villanova who is the uh, writer and creator of uh, Mayor of Easttown, which tomorrow uh, has its uh, final episode. You can make my wife stay up late. She, we usually watch it the day after. I know she's going to stay up late. Um, so I know, uh, I believe you started filming before the pandemic. And by the way, I just, uh, the, I love recognizing places, which I do. This is a yep. real local thing. It's like, oh, that's Drexel Hill. Oh, that's Aston, yep. et cetera. Yep. Um, yep. Then the pandemic. So how did you um, have to alter it? What restrictions did you have? How did you get around it? Well, that was, you know, that was really... I think the hardest thing was the creative. I mean, HBO did a wonderful job of setting up all the safety, you know, guidelines and protocols and keeping the crew safe. And they were wonderful and diligent and vigilant about that. And that was obviously the priority. How do we go back to work and keep people safe? I mean, because making a TV show isn't all that important after all. And so it was, are we able to keep everyone safe and healthy? And then once we got the guidelines in place, I think the trick at that point, guys, was, you know, we had, at that point, we still had a lot of crowd scenes to shoot. Like, for example, there's a, a scene at the radio station where Siobhan's band is playing and, mm-hmm. and she meets a local DJ. That was originally supposed to be a sorority house. And they were playing at a sorority party in Bryn Mawr, and it was a rager. And in the midst of the party, she meets this girl. Well, how are you going to be able to do that in COVID? You can't have 100 extras on set. It's not safe. So you have to reconceive these scenes ah. in a way where it's really limited – in terms of crew and cast, and yet you need to still get out all the plot beats and emotion that you were trying to achieve in a scene of a larger scope. So it required us to reconsider and reinvent 
a lot of scenes we had left and and still maintain the scope of the show and the emotion of the scene. So it, it, it was quite hard, I would say, but we managed to pull it off and and everyone sort of, you know, everyone kind of rallied at that moment. We had conversations with the actors about the scenes we had left to shoot. And, and again, like, how do we maintain all the things we want to get out of the scene in a scene that just has less scope? So it was really like, you know, a lot of revisions, a lot of rewriting and, uh, but it was a collaboration and everyone sort of was up, up to, uh, you know, trying to make it happen mm-hmm. and get the show over the finish line. I guess there are probably a lot of people out there, Brad, that would be asking, how does a kid from Archbishop Carroll uh, who goes to <laughs> Villanova and is really on a business track, um, mm-hmm. how, how does he wind up becoming a successful screenwriter? Um, how, did, how, did, how did that transition take place? Because I know when you went to Villanova, you were a business major. Uh, but yep. apparently you took yep. some sort of a screenwriting, film writing course at the university that just kind of hooked you, and it just kind of took off from there. Yeah, I think I'd always really loved movies. I mean, I grew up, you know, just, I mean, I was always watching movies. That was sort of my thing. I would, I was always renting movies and catching up on movies and watching old movies. So it was always in my blood. I, I didn't know I wanted to be a writer until I was probably a junior at Nova, and I took a screenwriting class and had this wonderful instructor who sort of at the end of one class, you know, kind of, uh, you know, stopped me and said, listen, are you, are you interested in, you know, are you interested in this because you're way more invested than the other students in class are. And um, I think that was sort of the nudge that I needed. You know, sometimes you just need a nudge and, um, and she gave me a nudge and I, and, and I started to, you know, I started to do a lot of writing and thinking about what it might mean and applied to AFI in Los Angeles, a film school and you know, was lucky enough to get in, and then, and then once I got into AFI, I was immersed in screenwriting and structure, and and it just became, you know, at that point, I couldn't get rid of it. It was a disease, you know. I loved it, I devoured it, and and I've been writing ever since. So, you know, I didn't, I wasn't in love with business ever. It was one of those things where I got to Villanova and said, I don't know what the heck I want to do. I guess like most kids, really, and and yet, uh, you know. If until I, I discover what it is that I want to do, I'll take business, I'll get a degree, I can have a job somewhere. And, uh, and it just so happened that when I was a junior, I discovered screenwriting and it just took off at that point. All right. A couple quick questions left. First of all, let's yep. give that professor a nod in screenwriting. Who was that person who told you to pursue it? Oh, Sloan Steele. Yeah. I'm, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sloan Steele. And she actually teaches at Temple now. Okay. Nice. Um, so this feature that we do uh, every weekend is called What We're Watching, and it's Ray and I usually steering people towards shows we love, which is how we started talking about your show, whatever, mm-hmm. six, seven weeks ago. So I wanna, yeah. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. Um, Brad Inglesby, what TV shows do you like to watch? Oh, goodness. Um, what have I been Give watching Give us a couple recently? of your favorites. Oh, um Broadchurch is love is, it. is a show that yeah it's wonderful and love was a big it. inspiration. Um, so that was one. Um, True Detective, you know, is another one. Uh, I got one, really into Ted Lasso. Two. I got into yep, yep, yep. I got into Ted Lasso, which I thought was really, really charming. My sister recommended that, and uh, I devoured Ted Lasso. And um, I may destroy you. I loved HBO miniseries there. Loved that one. Um, and that's, I think, and then a lot of sports, guys. I'm, I watch a ton of sports, so that's my, that's you. I'm, you know, NBA is on now, and 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll watch a ton of sports. I usually get wrapped up in the sports playoffs when they come along. Sure. Ray, I feel great validation. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you yeah, know. there's a lot of your favorites. I know you were, you were on Ted Lasso before almost anybody, so that's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, Brad, I have, to, yeah. I have to ask you, this is coming – this is coming from an old sports writer, okay? So this is not I, mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to present myself as your typical viewer. I watch things and I think things that other people don't think. But yeah. I have to know how good a basketball player was Mayor? I mean, was she was she was she Sue was she Sue Bird good? Was she Nancy no. Lieberman good? Was she Yukon good or was she Division 3 good? I need to know. I, I've always seen mayors like a D2 school good, you know, never really had aspirations of the NBA. But in a town like East Town, you know, she created a moment of glory and everyone looks up to her. But I've never seen her as Sue Bird. I mean, that's another level good. You know, Sue Bird is iconic. I don't think mayor could handle Sue Bird. <laughs> all right, last question. Um, we're all waiting for tomorrow night, but I started to think in the last uh, couple of days, Brad Inglesby, is is there talk of a season two, or is this a one-shot deal? You know, it, it, it's always been a one – it's always been one arc, really, you know, mm-hmm. one season. And I think I, – I think, or at least I hope viewers will walk away and be satisfied that the story – had a beginning, a middle, and a definitive end. And so I don't know. You know, it's, uh, it's Let me funny. just – I'm it's, interrupting you, but when HBO yeah. comes to you with, with the big check and says, hey, can you do a season <laughs> two? Because I've seen it so many times, shows that have a story arc, but they're that good that it's like, hey. And sometimes they're great the second year and sometimes they're not. Well, that's the – I think that's the predicament, right, is, is, is I've seen it be not great, and I would hate – I would only do it if I was absolutely convinced we had a great one. And I don't have that in my head right now. If, but if I did, if I did have a great one, oh, my God, I would love to do another season with Mare and Helen and Siobhan. I love these characters so much. If I could craft the story that I was convinced, you know, would be able to equal, you know, the season one story, then I would do it in a heartbeat just because, um, as I said earlier, I'm, I w- I've always been less interested in the mystery I've always been more interested in the characters, and I love these characters so much that if I could give them a second life, 100%, but I would have to be convinced that it was great. So only time will tell, guys, but I do hope you guys like the ending, and I do think you'll see that it comes to a conclusion, and it's not going to leave viewers thinking, oh, my goodness, we have to wait a whole year until season two comes out. No, it absolutely (laughs) has an end. It's satisfying. All the cards are laid out on the table. All the the loose ends are tied up, I think. So hopefully everyone's satisfied. Well, Brad Inglesby, you're going to win Emmys for this. And uh, (laughs) your family uh, is going to be very proud of you and the whole whole area. I said to Ray at the start of the show that we've seen a lot of TV shows based on or based in or around Philadelphia, and I – don't know of one that so better captures the region. There are a lot of shows based in Philadelphia, but they could be filmed anywhere. Mm-hmm. This one sure. captures it, and it's great, and the characters are great, and you've done something magnificent. We really we appreciate your time today. Yeah, well done, Brad. Well oh, done. I, oh, I appreciate you guys having me on, and I'm and I'm really happy you guys are liking the show so much. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we have sure a great are. one. Congrats. Congratulations, right, thanks Brad. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day. All right, All right. thanks so much, you guys. You too. Bye bye. Take care. And that was Brad Inglesby a creator of the HBO hit show, Mayor of Easttown. Now, I wanted to play that interview for you. Um, if you're a fan of the show, it's it's become a nationwide hit. It really is crazy. Like, this show, set in Delaware County, starring Kate Winslet, this is not just a I, I feel like Mayor of Easttown, 
started out as a local thing. Like, it sounded like when I heard of it a few weeks ago, I heard about it after the first two episodes from my mother-in-law who turned my wife on to it. Then my wife starting watch started watching it, and me, me and my my wife and I, because of our schedules being so completely messed up, we'll watch the same shows uh, a lot of the time. But we very rarely watch shows together um, because you know she is on a normal person's schedule, and I'm on a an insomniac's schedule, uh, you know, for the most part. But um, they turned me on to it after the first couple episodes and I feel like over the last couple weeks it started out as a novelty within this area like a lot of people in this area were watching it but as it's gone on it just became like this national phenomenon and it's you know late in the show here I'm usually on Twitter throughout the show very few shows will have this kind of impact on me where I'm too afraid to go on Twitter I've been on Twitter all show because I I can't risk not being able to say or not, you know, uh, or finding out the conclusion of Mayor of Easttown before I go home. It's the first thing I'm doing. I'm going home from the show in a few minutes and I'm going home to watch Mayor of Easttown. And, um, you know, it was interesting to have him on. And, and it's cool to hear a local guy making a show about the you know, kind of local attitude here. And I almost feel like for certain areas of the country, you need that. Like, I don't think this show would have resonated the same way, certainly locally, because nationally, I think in many ways, they don't they don't really know um, what's authentic, what's not, so you just buy into it. But the people who live in that area know what's authentic and what is not. And I don't think it would have caught on in this area had the stuff not been authentic. Now, there are some issues within the show that, that I pointed out. Like, like in the one episode, they had people sitting around watching a Penn State basketball game. I mean, come on. That that was, I thought, um, pretty poorly executed there. Like, nobody in this area gives a damn about Penn State basketball. Like, it's just, even Penn State football, that's some people like it if you have connection to the university, other people don't really like Like, personally, I don't like Penn State. Um, you know, you could have put on a Sixers game. You could have put on a Phillies game. Even if you're going to go college basketball, you would go Villanova in this area um, because they're the interesting program. And, and any of the city schools over Penn State, I thought that was kind of poorly executed. But in general, um, I think they have hit the attitude of the people in this area on the head. Some of the accents are a little, you know, overdone. Uh, I don't think the accents in in every way are great. Um, but I did uh, I did really enjoy the show. And um, you know, when I get out of here tonight after the the following segment, uh, that's what I'm going home to watch is Mayor of Easttown. But uh, I wanted to play that interview with you uh, right there with Brad Inglesby. Um, because tremendous job, good job, Glenn and Ray getting him on, and uh, that was a pretty pretty fun interview there. Um, as uh, Mayor of Easttown concludes tonight, it's why I haven't been on sh- tw- on Twitter during the show. I'll be back on Twitter during my show tomorrow night. But um, in certain instances, you can't take the risk. Like whenever I would do, it would be brutal for me whenever I do an overnight following a new Game of Thrones episode. Um, I would just be in total fear 
that I would have found out what happened during uh, during the episode. So I, I used to be very, very careful with that. Um, but uh, uh, the, very few shows kind of elicit that kind of response. And, and I'm excited to go home and watch the end of Mayor of Easttown uh, when I get out of here tonight. So I hope you enjoyed that interview um, as we uh, head into Memorial Day. Uh, and hopefully you watch the show. And if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Go back, binge the episodes. It's a pleasurable watch. It's a fun watch, and you won't regret it. So that was Brad Inglesby uh, talking about Mayor of Easttown with Glenn and Ray on Saturday. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly. When we get back, I do want to do a little NBA basketball update here. I gave you all my picks last week. Kind of want to revisit. We, I mean, we talked about NBA throughout the show, but... Um, Wanted to kind of revisit what's been going on in all these series, how they've played out so far, and how I kind of view them right now. So we'll come back. We'll talk about that when we return. I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you for one more segment right here, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly as we wrap up the show here on Memorial Day, hopefully everybody's having a good Memorial Day weekend. The weather has been dreary, which I, I was talking with my wife about this on Sunday, and she thinks I'm crazy, but I don't particularly, you know, I, I enjoy a, a dreary weekend. It allows you to you hang in, you relax, you watch sports. There's been basketball and hockey playoff games on all weekend long. I've personally enjoyed it. Like, I... I I, you know, don't mind these dreary days where you can kind of relax, um, enjoy yourself at home, and I've had a good time this Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, you know, if you're getting together, and I'm sure a lot of people are getting together, just just in general, um, from like Thursday till Saturday, my wife and I were down the shore in Sea Isle, and her um, sister is, you know, mid-20s, uh, and she was, uh, you know, going out to the bars and stuff, and it was pretty packed down there with the bars and everything. And people are obviously itching to get out now that people are getting vaccinated, now that things are opening back up. And, uh, you know, I'm sure this summer uh, is going to be pretty crazy in a lot of ways. But, you know, I'm getting old, so I enjoy hanging in, relaxing, at a good time watching the playoff games this weekend. But hopefully everybody enjoyed their Memorial Day weekend, and, you know, as we wrap up the show here, um, I did my NBA playoff predictions last week, but kind of wanted to update you on every series and the thinking after after a week of action and what you see. Now, talked about the Sixers a lot tonight, and, and if you haven't been here for most of the show, uh, where we started with the Sixers is just what they have been able to do um, in this first round, and what it's told me the most. Like, looking back at the last couple weeks here, there was a bit of a fear coming in the playoffs. Never a fear they'd lose this series. You know, Washington is is just not a very good team. Never thought there was really a chance this series would go beyond five. But I did think it was, you know, a series that the Sixers, who knows, they could lose a game. These games could be close. And a, a lot of my thought process on that had gone back to the way they played the last couple weeks. And you look at the way the Sixers have played the last couple weeks of the regular season, they were playing a lot of bad teams. You know, they were playing your Chicago's without Levine and Vucevic. And, um, you know, the Pelicans, uh, I believe, without Zion. And a lot of bad teams over the last couple weeks. 
San Antonio without a lot of their top players. I know they got to the play-in, but let's face it, that team wasn't very good. And they had kind of struggled a little bit. They'd get these big leads, and then they'd get complacent. They'd allow teams back in games. And I kind of had a fear that that would carry over into the playoffs. And what this round has told me more than anything, the fact that that has not carried over, that that has not been an issue, I think it really speaks to the maturity of this team. And it speaks to them learning from their past experiences and learning from their past failures and the issues that they have had in the last few postseasons. And it's the part of it that I found to be most impressive. And, you know, does it mean this team is going to the finals because they took a 3-0 lead on the Washington Wizards? No, of course not. I mean, this is this is not a good Washington team. But you can only play the opponent who's in front of you. You know, you can only play the opponent who you've been given. And the Sixers are dominating the opponent they've been given. And... You know, it feels like any time they want to take any of these games over, they can. Uh, you know, these last two games, um, the first game stayed kind of close till the end. I think that was a combination of Washington have been playing for their lives for the last couple games. Sixers have been off for a week. There's going to be a little rust involved there, and there was, and the Sixers ended up winning it, and that was great. Um, but these last two games, if you really watch them, Sixers build up a double-digit lead. Then Washington kind of hangs in there. And once they get it down to five or six, both these games have been pretty similar where Washington has it down in like the high single-digit range with like three, four minutes left in the first half. And in the last three minutes of the first half, Sixers are like, all right, enough of this. This game's over. And boom, next thing you know, we go into half and the Sixers have a 14-point lead. And... That is just the hallmark of a good team. Like, I don't really know any other way to put it, but it's just what good teams do is they they take games over when it's time to take games over. And it's encouraging moving forward that the Sixers have done that from a real psychological and maturity standpoint. Because it's clear to me this team is more mature than they've been. They're more ready than they've been. And, you know, Joe Embiid spoke to that when he was on with Scott Van Pelt last night on SportsCenter. And uh, it's been encouraging to see. And, and we'll go through all these series here. Um, but we'll start with the Sixers. And when we see this one, like, as I said earlier, I don't think this series goes beyond tonight. I, I think we're sitting here. I'm back on the air tomorrow. And for Big Daddy, I think we're looking ahead to the Atlanta Hawks. Because, I mean, the Hawks are going to beat the Knicks. We'll, we'll get into that more in a few minutes. But the 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 Wizards' will has been broken. I think around the mid third quarter mark last night, you could just tell the Wizards were like, "All right, we're we're just we're over this. We're done with this. This this series is not turning around. This is not going in our favor. We have no way to stop Embiid. We have no way to stop them." And I think they really just quit. And I think it's really dawning on Bradley Beal. Like I respect Bradley Beal for wanting to stay like and there are certain guys that that want to stay like Damian Lillard wants to stay in Portland he does not want to leave um and maybe he will his entire career but Bradley Beal you look at him and it just screams a guy that like dude you're too good like Bradley Beal just watching him in this series he's too good to be playing for the Washington Wizards 
he's too good to let that terrible organization waste away his career. And it, it almost seemed like, when you look at his body language, it almost seemed like he realized that in the middle of the third quarter last night. Like, it really did. It seemed like Bradley Beal kind of realized in the middle of the third quarter when his whole team kind of quit. It seems like he kind of realized, like, this just, this, this is never going to work here. This cast isn't good enough. This organization isn't good enough. And Bradley Beal, he's got to find a way to work his way out of there. He's got to find a way to get out of Washington. And you can say that's a loser's mentality. Well, fine. I mean, and it's why the NBA is so great these days, honestly, because there are so many good players in the league that there are good players on really bad teams. And if Bradley Beal's going to win anything, they're not going to surround him properly there. He's got to get out of Washington. And I think it kind of dawned on him last night when he sees how big the gulf really is between his team and the Sixers team that might not even be one of the top two teams in the East. Um, I think May Bradley Beal realize he's got to get out of Washington. And I would expect the Sixers to come out and just dominate the the Wizards on Monday night. I think the Wizards are broken. I think they're broken psychologically. They are not good enough physically to deal with the Sixers, not good enough to deal with Embiid. And I would expect the Sixers to win this game big on Monday night. I'm actually going to check out what the line is right now. Um, because, I mean, I, I think you would, if this thing is anywhere in single digits, I'd lay it with the Sixers on Monday night. And it's at eight right now. So I think that is a, a pretty good bet. Uh, because I don't think Washington is going to keep this thing very competitive at all on Monday. So that's all I see that series. You look at Nets-Celtics. Nets lead the series three games to one. Talked about that earlier with the idiot fan throwing bottles at Kyrie Irving. And if you didn't hear our take on this earlier, um, fans need to stop with this. You know, you might not like the players. And in general, I'm not the biggest Kyrie Irving fan. And, you know, it is mainly because what he did in Boston. Um, you know, he tore that team apart. I think he's a selfish player, but you don't you don't do that. You don't do that to anybody. You don't throw popcorn on Russell Westbrook. You don't throw bottles at Kyrie Irving. Um, you don't uh, spit on on Trey Young. You don't I mean, the racist comments toward John Morant are, are totally inexcusable and it's just sad to me that you get fans back in arenas. Finally, is something we've been waiting for for so long. And honestly, I think the fan, the players generally enjoy it too. And that's what's so sad about it is the, the players, for the most part, are excited to have fans back in the arenas. But then the fans are acting like jackasses and doing this stupid stuff. And it's really, really sad to see. As this should be a celebratory week of getting back to normal, fans being back at games, um... Sports being back to the way we we envision sports being. Like, this is the NBA playoffs. And I enjoyed the bubble last year because I love basketball. And I was so excited to have basketball and sports back. But you see now, that wasn't real playoffs. Like, this is real playoff basketball. And for fans to be acting like this, it is a disgrace. And any fan who does that, any fan who yells a racist remark or throws something at a player should never be allowed to attend another sporting event again. I don't care who it is. I don't care. I mean, Kyrie Irving stomped on the Celtics logo. You know what that is? That's good-natured, you know, uh, ribbing. There's nothing wrong with that. 
And depending on, regardless of what you think of Kyrie Irving, as a player, as a person, there's nothing wrong with that. When I see idiotic, you know, tweets by Jeff Goodman, dope, who says, you know, the fans shouldn't have thrown that, but Kyrie shouldn't have stomped on the logo. Give me a break. Give me a break. Like, we want the good-natured ribbing between the fans and the players. And you can heckle players. You can tell them they suck. You know, you can boo them. You can do all that stuff. It, like, I don't understand why this is so difficult. Because the rules are pretty simple. Like, I was an usher at Eagles games for 10 years. The rules are not complicated to follow. Don't throw things. Don't curse. Don't insult people's families. Don't be racist. Like, wh- I, I, I don't understand what is so hard for people. And I went off on this earlier. Had to go off on it again. Because it's really bothered me. And I feel like it's taken away from what should be a really celebratory week this week in this country with fans finally being allowed back at games. And, you know, as we look at the series, um, this series I see very similar to the Sixers-Washington series. It's over. Uh, Boston got their game three. Tatum went off for 50. And uh, Tatum is really doing this alone right now. I mean, I I think this would have been a... Interesting series to see had Jalen Brown been available because Jalen Brown's really good and I think Boston would have been able to hang a little more, but they just have no chance. They just have no chance against this big three of Brooklyn. Um, It's not happening for the Celtics. They're not going to win game five. I'd expect Brooklyn to win big in game five back in Brooklyn and they will advance on, but, um, you know, just, just not enough there for the Celtics. And, uh, you know, I think next series is, is going to be the big test for the Nets. And when you look at that Milwaukee-Miami series, and we'll transition over to that one now, I was wrong. I was flat out wrong. I did my predictions last week after game one of that series, and I said I thought that series is still going seven. I thought I would, you know, after game one, if I was Miami, I would have been feeling very good about myself the fact that they didn't play very well, yet they were still able to bring that game down to the wire. Jimmy Butler had a god-awful game one, but made the shot at the end of regulation, send that game to overtime. Milwaukee had to eke out a victory, and at that point, I would have been feeling good if I was Milwaukee or Miami. But Milwaukee came back, and, and you know I think very similar to the Sixers. And it's why, you know, It's hard to expect so much of young teams, and it's why maybe we were unrealistic with our expectations of the Sixers in the past, is a lot of teams need to go through this in the playoffs. And I think the Sixers and Milwaukee are very similar in the sense that you can tell they are truly learning and have been hardened by these past failures and these past experiences. Because, And I give Milwaukee credit. I thought it was crazy of them to kind of toss that game uh, or, or to try to win that game against Miami toward the end of the regular season so they'd play them in the first round. But Milwaukee didn't fear the heat, and they came out games two through four. They beat them thoroughly, and I think exercised a lot of demons where that was a team that, let's face it, I mean, they were embarrassed in the bubble last year. When they got swept out, or, or lost in five, rather, um, to the heat, That was a terrible loss for them. A terrible series loss. It was embarrassing. 
And I think they exercised a lot of demons coming out and sweeping the heat and um, getting past a team that ended their season in pretty embarrassing fashion last year. And, you know, I think a lot of that comes from hard, being hardened by those past experiences. Uh, having that disappointing loss last year, having that disappointing Eastern Conference Finals loss after having a 2-0 series lead against Toronto and Kawhi two years ago, um, I certainly think that Milwaukee has learned from those past experiences. And I can't wait to see this Milwaukee-Brooklyn series. Um, I'll stick with my pick from a week ago that is Brooklyn in seven. I'll stick with Brooklyn in seven over Milwaukee, but I was very impressed by Milwaukee in this series. And that series is going to be a war, and I think it's going to work both ways because um, you look at the Sixers, and we'll get into their likely second-round opponent in, in a second, but the Sixers should pretty easily get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, that's pretty clear. Um, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, they are going to go through an absolute war. That is going to be an absolute war in the semifinals. And it can work both ways. Because whoever comes out of it, you can say, okay, well, they're going to be tired out. They got through a really difficult series. But look at what it, look at the energy it, it, took them to get there, but you can look at it on the other side and say, okay, look at the confidence that either of those teams is going to have following beating the other one. And I think both things are going to factor in. Now, I would rather be in the Sixers position for sure. I would rather be where the Sixers are right now um, with their road, but there will be a certain level of confidence that those teams will play with as well as we move forward here. Um, beyond uh, the the second round of the playoffs. But you look at the 4-5, talked about the Knicks earlier. They're just, it's so pathetic. Like, it really is pathetic, Knicks fans. That team is not very good. We all, anybody paid attention knew that team wasn't very good. And the Hawks are going to win that series. I would expect it to happen in five. Who knows, maybe the Knicks have one last gasp in them. You know, Tibbs will have them play hard. Maybe they win game five, go back to Atlanta. That series isn't going beyond six. Probably better for the Sixers if the Knicks do win game five. I would love the Knicks to come back and win the series. There's just no way it's going to happen. Um, But, you know, uh, the Hawks um, will win that series, and that's the team the Sixers will get in the next round. Now, I don't look at that series as anything the Sixers will have significant issues with. Um Trey Young will go off and he'll win the Hawks a game. That that's probably the way it'll go down. Uh, you know, Sixers probably protect home court. I could see Trey Young going nuts in that game three in Atlanta. That's the one the Hawks win. At most, the Hawks get two games, but the Hawks have nobody who can guard and bead. Clint Capella is not strong enough. Um, they can't handle Joel, and I wouldn't be worried about that series. I think the Sixers take care of business pretty easily against Atlanta. Uh, I would say five, maybe six. At absolute most, it is six games in that series. But the Sixers will beat the Hawks and beat them pretty soundly. And I think it's going to be a real advantage when you get to the conference finals. And, I mean, say the Sixers sweep Washington, which I expect. Say they beat Atlanta in five. That's nine games before the Eastern Conference Finals. 
And you're going to be playing a Brooklyn or Milwaukee team that I think that series is going seven. I think all those games are going to be tough. I think they're all going to be tight. If any of the two games they played a couple weeks ago were any indication, those are two pretty evenly matched teams. Um, that's going to be a big advantage for the Sixers. And I'll stick with my prediction from last week, which is Sixers over Brooklyn in seven in the Eastern Conference Finals. Because I do think uh, the fans are going to matter. The Wells Fargo Center has been loud. And as they get to 100% capacity, man, I can't even think of what a Game 7 of an Eastern Conference Finals at the Wells Fargo Center would sound like. It would be incredible. And I personally cannot wait um, for the next round of the playoffs. And I'll stick with my prediction, which is Sixers over Brooklyn in 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, you look over at the West, the 1-8 series has been surprisingly entertaining. I really like watching this Memphis team they are a fun group. They're just a fun-loving, you know, they're a team you root for. They have likable guys. John Morant is an extremely likable player. Dylan Brooks is one of those guys who, if he's on your team, you absolutely love him. Like, Dylan Brooks has that bit of confidence to him, that irrational confidence. They actually kind of liken a player where Anytime he steps on the floor, Dylan Brooks thinks he's the best player on the floor. Like, that can work against you sometimes. But it's also, it's a really nice quality to have in a player. And I think it's really what you get from a guy like Dylan Brooks. Like, he expects he is going to be the best player on every floor that he steps onto, whether it's true or not. And, um, you know, Memphis put up a good fight. Uh, You know, they won game one. They fought hard these last couple games, came back in game three. Um, I would expect the Jazz to win this series. I think, you know, it's either five or six. Uh, I could see Memphis getting game four on Monday night. Um, But Utah, I think, is too strong. I think ultimately Utah will win this series probably in six games. But I do like that Memphis team. I think Taylor Jenkins is a really good coach, and I like where they're headed in the future. But I still like Utah to get out of that one. Suns-Lakers is so interesting. And, you know, first the injury concerns were on one side with Chris Paul. Chris Paul comes back on Sunday, looks great, looks totally fine, uh, talks and, you know, I don't know how you can't root for Chris Paul. Like, I, I've really come around on him over the last couple of years. I didn't used to be a huge fan of Chris Paul, but I've come around on him in a big way. Um and I think he has done an absolutely tremendous job with that team. He has been a veteran presence that they have needed. Monty Williams, in my mind, should be the coach of the year. Like uh, what he's done to turn that from a non-playoff team, didn't have gone to the playoffs in years, to a two seed and a legit contender is amazing. I mean, I just think they're really well built. They're one of my favorite teams to watch with Booker and a guy like Jay Crowder I love, Bridges we know about. DeAndre Ayton, who, you know, I respect a guy like DeAndre Ayton a lot. To be a first pick, and a guy who has a first pick is a bit of a disappointment, but he doesn't let that discourage him. Like, DeAndre Ayton always gives you 100%, and at least he cares, at least he tries. I think that's really respectable. Um, and they're just a fun team to watch. And I don't know how the rest of the series is going to play out, but the injury concerns going into this game were all on one side with Paul. Paul looks good. Now Anthony Davis goes out of this game. Um, he goes down with a knee injury. 
And now his status is uncertain. He doesn't return for the second half of this game, uh, game four. And the Suns end up winning it. And I think uh, this series is fully dependent on the status of Anthony Davis. If Anthony Davis comes back for these next three games, he's anywhere near 100%. I think the Lakers are too good. And I think the Lakers win in seven. Um, If Anthony Davis is unhealthy, there's a legit chance the Suns win this series. And I think this is the de facto Western Conference Finals. I really do. I think whoever wins this series wins the West. I think these are the two best teams in the West when healthy. And maybe LeBron will just go nuts and do his LeBron stuff, but he needs some kind of help. And he really doesn't have much on that team. If Davis is healthy, I still think the Lakers are the favorites to win the finals. Um, They were my pick to win the finals a week ago. But they need Anthony Davis. And um, I think his health is going to be the determining factor in how that series plays out. But that's been a fun one so far. I think they're the two best teams in the West. The 3-6 series, I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen like a minute of this series. Nuggets Blazers tied it to kind of what you'd expect. I picked the Nuggets in seven last week. I'll stick with that pick. They still got two out of the three games at home. Um, Jokic is so good. And it's a shame for the Nuggets that Jamal Murray got hurt. If Jamal Murray was healthy, they might have been my pick to come out of the West. I I think they're really good. I think Mike Malone's a really good coach. Um, Aaron Gordon was a really nice pickup for them for the role he would have played had you had Jamal Murray. He would have been in the perfect role. Um, Same with Michael Porter Jr. I think you're just asking these guys to do a little too much as far as making a deep, deep playoff run. But they can beat Portland. Portland's one of those teams that they're they're just always kind of... They they just have a little fraud element to them. I I don't know exactly what it is. They're just one of those teams that you just don't believe in. Maybe it's the Western Conference Finals from a couple years ago. They kept having these double-digit leads against Golden State and couldn't hold them, and um, it was one of those one of those things where you kind of just knew it wasn't going to work. And I think they're like a much better Washington, where Beal is like the Willard, and it's like they're never like Damian Willard. I love him, and I think he's great. If he stays in Portland, I just don't think he's ever going to win anything. And you know, I don't. He seems like a guy who's never going to force his way out but if he really does want to win I think ultimately that's what he's going to have to do I just don't see them winning anything substantial there but whoever wins this series I don't think beats the winner of Suns Lakers like the winner of Suns Lakers will beat whoever wins this series I'll stick with Nuggets in seven for now though and then Clippers Mavs and this series been wacky Mavs take the first two games in LA Clippers go back and really hammer Dallas uh in game four Luca just watching game four, he was not right. I mean, his neck is is bothering him in a substantive way. Um, and obviously, if Luca if Luca is not himself, the Mavs have no chance. Luca is a one man show there. I mean, Porzingis played all right, but you know, I don't see either of these teams being legit contenders long term. Like, and I think Utah is kind of a fraud too, in a way. Um, Whoever gets through this series, maybe they beat Utah. But again, I don't see I don't see anybody beating the Suns or Lakers in the West. I think the Suns and Lakers is the Western Con- the de facto Western Conference Finals. Um, but pretty interested uh, to see how this series plays out. Now that the Clippers tied it at two, and anytime you start believing in the Clippers, 
you know, you usually live to regret it. There's just a dog quality about them in a bad way. Like, Paul George is just a losing player. When he makes shots, he'll look great. But when he misses shots, he gives you nothing. And there are going to be nights you miss shots. And you got to try to contribute in other ways. He just doesn't doesn't do it. Um, and when his shot's off, he just kind of has that give-up mentality to him. So maybe the Clippers win this series. I think now they probably will. Um the Mavs just don't have a ton beyond Luka, and if Luka's not completely right, I don't see it happening. Uh, but the Clippers, I don't, I, I've given up on them as a title contender. I just don't believe they have what it takes. Um, beyond Kawhi, Paul George isn't a reliable enough number two, and I don't really like their role players, to be honest with you. So that's kind of the state of the playoffs right now. Still think it's Sixers-Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals. Can't wait for Nets-Bucks in the next round. And then in the West... Um, Whoever wins this Suns-Lakers series, I think will end up representing the Western Conference in the finals. So that's where we are at the playoffs right now. It should be a fun week of basketball. Fun week this last week. A lot of good stuff, except for the stupid fan behavior. That's got to stop. So that'll do it for the show tonight. I'll be back on tomorrow filling in for Big Daddy Graham. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Dan Wilson for producing on this Memorial Day right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.